When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Abgenommen bedauert. Egypt. A capital idea, Monsieur Poirot. Just the place to escape from an English winter. And when would you be thinking of going? Oh, there is no hurry. In about uh, eight weeks' time, perhaps. There is a sailing from Marseille. No, 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 no. Huh? No, the sea, it does not agree with me. Ah. The channel, I admit, I cannot avoid, but after that, I wish to make my way by train. That is possible, I believe. Perfectly possible, Monsieur Poirot. You will wish to stay in Cairo, perhaps. At Shepherd's Hotel. And we could arrange excursions to Memphis, Saqqara, and Giza. Mm, perhaps. But what I really wish is to make the journey up the Nile. Ah, there is an admirable steamer service. And uh, beyond that one, the second cataract. Uh, for that, you must take a smaller ship, the Tana. Uh -huh. It is provided with every luxury. Ah, oh, Monsieur Poirot, a boat trip up the Nile is the most romantic journey on Earth. <laughs> An opportunity to put the, uh, <laughs> the world of crime far beyond you. We present John Moffat, as Hercule Poirot, and Donald Sinton as Colonel Race, in Agatha Christie's Death on the Nile. Darling, I think it's the most wonderful house in the world, and you've done so much in such a short time. Did you have lots of architects and things? Three. And how much did you pay for the place, if you don't mind me asking? I don't mind in the least, Joanna. Sixty thousand. Oh, it must be marvellous, just to be able to buy anything you want. These pearls, for instance... I suppose they are real, Lynette. <laughs> of course they're real. And it's, of course, to you, my sweet. But it wouldn't be to most people. Oh, they are incredible. So exquisitely matched. How much are they worth? Around 50,000. Oh, aren't you afraid of having them stolen? No. I wear them all the time, and anyway, they're insured. Oh, let me wear them for an hour or two, will you? It would give me such a thrill. Of course, Joanna. You know, Lynette, I really do envy you. You've simply got everything... Looks, personality, endless wealth. And you're still only... Are you 21 yet? Not till June next year. The gossip writers say there's a marriage in the offing. Are they right? Mm, I've had quite a few offers, if that's what you mean. But I don't really intend to marry anyone yet. There's so much I want to do with my life. 
Mais naturellement, there is always a table for you, Monsieur Poirot. How I wish that you would honor us more often. You are too amiable, Monsieur Blondin. You are alone? Alas, yes, I am alone. This table here, Monsieur Poirot. Ah. Jules will compose for you a meal that will be a petit poem. You have grave affairs on hand? Au contraire, you see before you a man of leisure. I envy you. Oh, no, 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 no. It would be unwise to do so. I can assure you it is not so gay as it sounds. How true is the saying that man was forced to invent work in order to escape the strain of having to think. But there is so much. There are books. There is travel. Yes, mon ami, there is travel. This year, I intend to visit Egypt. I shall escape the fogs, the greyness, the monotony of the constantly falling rain. Ah, Monsieur Poirot, how I envy you. <laughs> uh, tell me, who are the charming young couple at that table there? Oh, no one in particular. I have no idea who the young man is. Mademoiselle is the daughter of the Comte de Belfort, a family which has sadly fallen upon our times. We are, as always, so fully booked, but I found a table for them because they are so obviously in love. But uh, I must see to your meal, Monsieur Poirot. In love? Well, she is in love, certainly. Egypt. All my life I've wanted to see Egypt. We'll spend our honeymoon there and see the pyramids and the Sphinx and go up the Nile together. It seems that I am not alone in my dreams. Hang on a minute, Jackie. Aren't you rather counting your chickens before they're hatched? Of course I'm not. Lynette is my oldest friend. We are at convent school in Paris. She's bought this enormous estate down at Malton Underwood and she's going to need an estate manager. I'm sure I can talk her into taking you on. She won't let us down. Well, I might let her down. Nonsense. The job is made for you. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I think it is. Well, I haven't really any doubts as to my capability, but how am I going to convince her? When she sees you, she'll know you're the right man. <laughs> Just as I did. We'll wait three months to make sure you don't get the sack, and then, then... And then I'll endow thee with my worldly goods. Is that it? You seem so indifferent. Aren't you as excited about it all as I am? Do you really care as much as I do? Oh, don't be absurd, Jackie. Of course I do. One who loves and one who lets himself be loved. She cares too much, that little one. Jeanette's the most wonderful person in the world. I know I'll be able to persuade her. Jackie, where have you been all this time? You just disappear for months on end and you never write. I hate writing letters. And there's really nothing to write about. I've been three parts submerged in jobs, grim jobs for grim women. Well, why don't you simply come and live here for a while? You don't have to be short of money, Jackie. I could always... No, no, I've not come here to borrow money. But I have come to ask a very big and very special favour of you. Well, go on. Is it true you're going to marry Lord Windlesham? Oh, faithfully. Oh, I, I'm not sure. Perhaps. I haven't made up my mind yet. But what's that got to do with your important favour? It's just that I thought that if you were, you'd understand. Jackie, are you trying to tell me that you're engaged? Yes, I'm engaged. Well, well. I thought you were looking particularly alive today. You always do, of course, but even more than usual. Tell me all about him. His name's Simon Doyle. He's big and square and incredibly <laughs> simple and boyish and, oh, utterly adorable. And he's got no money. Not a bean. <laughs> he's what you call county and all that, but a very impoverished county, and he's a younger son. He loves the country and country things, 
But for the last five years, he's been in the city working in a stuffy office. And now they're cutting down and he's out of the job. Philip, I shall die if I can't marry him. I'm crazy about him and he's crazy about me. We can't live without one another. Darling, you've got it badly. I know. It's awful, isn't it? It's frightening sometimes. Simon and I were made for one another, and you've got to help us, Lynette. Well, how can I help you? Well, the moment I heard you bought this place, I knew it was the solution. You'll have to have a land agent to run it. And I want you to give the job to Simon. Oh, but I, I thought you said... Oh, that... he's got all that sort of thing at his fingertips. He knows all about estates. He was brought up on one. And he's got his business training, too. Well, you will give him the job, won't you, Lynette? Oh, say you will, Lynette. Say you will. stop it. <laughs> Bring your man down here and let me have a look at him. Oh, I knew you wouldn't let me down. And you will simply adore Simon. You won't be able to resist him. I couldn't. You don't really want to go to Mallorca again, surely, Mother? Well, it's cheap, Tim. And cold. So, where were you thinking of? Egypt. Egypt. Real warm, lazy golden sands. And the Nile. Wouldn't you like to go up the Nile? Oh, I'd like to. But Egypt's expensive, my dear. <laughs> Just for once, we don't have to worry about the money, Mother. I've had a modest little flutter on the stock exchange with thoroughly satisfactory results. I heard this morning. This morning? Hmm. But you only had one letter this morning, and that was from... And that um... was from Joanna Southwood. Quite right, Mother. You really do have the detective instinct. I just happened to see the handwriting. And knew that it wasn't that of a stockbroker. Quite right. As a matter of fact, it was yesterday that I heard from them. And, uh, what does Joanna have to say? Any news? Nothing much. The, uh, Devonshires are getting a divorce. Windlesham's gone off to Canada. Seems he was pretty badly hit when Lynette Ridgway finally turned him down. Particularly when he found out that she was going to marry her land agent. Oh, how extraordinary. Is this land agent person dreadful? No, not at all. In fact, he's one of the Devonshire Doyles. No money, of course. And he was actually engaged to one of Lynette's best friends. Yeah, pretty thick, that. Oh, I don't think that's at all nice. I know, darling. You don't approve of snaffling other people's husbands and all that sort of thing. In my day, we had our standards. I think it's horrid. Anyway, that's quite enough about Lynette Ridgway. What about this Egypt idea? Well... That's settled, then. We both <laughs> always wanted to go to Egypt. <laughs> when do you suggest? Oh, next month, I should think. It'll be a welcome change from living in run-down hotels at second-rate seaside resorts. They said you wanted to see me. I came as fast as I could. What's up? Lynette Ridgway's married. Why? Why didn't we hear about it? She wasn't married when she wrote this letter, but she is now. Morning of the 4th. That's today. No warning and nothing? Who's the man? Oh, a fellow called Simon Doyle. She doesn't say much. Not that it matters. The whole point is she's married. What are we going to do about it? The Normandy sails today. One of us could just make it. I don't like the idea of tangling with those British lawyers. I am not suggesting that either of us go to England. She says in her letter she's going to Egypt for her honeymoon. I expects to be there for a month or more. You mean one of us should go out to Egypt? Yeah, just happen to run into her somewhere by chance. Since she'll be on her honeymoon, she won't have her mind on the business side of things. It might be done. You'd manage it better than I would, I guess. Well, I hope I can pull it off. You've got to pull it off. Think of what's going to happen if you don't. 
She's staying at Shepherd's Hotel in Cairo and then going on to the Cataract Hotel in Aswan. You know, I think that must be Ashley Quarrel. The detective? Mm. That funny little man. Yes, that funny little man. What on earth is he doing out here? Darling, you sound almost excited for once. But I doubt very much whether Mr. Quarrel's here on business. Uh. He seems to have teamed up with the only good-looking girl in the place. Oh, yes, I suppose she is quite. Oh, she's more than quite. But she seems so bad-tempered and sulky. My mother wants me to take some film to be developed. What knows what she finds to photograph in this dump? You permit that I accompany you, mademoiselle? Of course, Monsieur Foyer. They say that Elephantine is so-called because the little islands look like a herd of elephants bathing. <laughs> ah, it enchants me. The sun and the colourful boats on the river. Yes, it is good to be alive. You do not find it so, mademoiselle. It's all right, I suppose. I think Aswan's a gloomy sort of place. The hotel's half empty and everyone's about a hundred. It is true, yes. <laughs> I have one foot in the grave. Oh, I wasn't thinking of you. I'm sorry, it sounded rude. No, 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 not at all. It is not all you should wish for companions of your own age. Ah, well, there is one young man, at least. The one who sits with his mother all the time. That's Mr. Allerton. I like her, but I think he looks dreadfully conceited. Oh, and I? Am I conceited? Oh, I don't think so. My friends say that I am very conceited. Oh, well, I suppose you have something to be conceited about. <laughs> Unfortunately, crime doesn't interest me in the least. Oh, I'm delighted to hear that you have no guilty secrets to hide. <laughs> but the boat from Luxor must have come in. Shall we go and inspect the new arrivals? <laughs> Madame, your mother was not at lunch today. She is not indisposed, I trust? The place doesn't suit her. I think she feels it's rather let her down. She was hoping to find inspiration for her next novel. Hmm. I shall be glad when we leave. We are to be fellow passengers, are we not? We both make the excursion up to Wadi Haifa and the second cataract? Yes, we do. Ah. The man you find so dreadfully conceited is coming after us. Perhaps he's come to meet somebody off the boat. <laughs> Awful crowd, as usual. Makes you wonder why they bother to come up the Nile at all. And if they've been more at home in Petticoat Lane. Oh, I'm damned if that isn't Lynette Ridgeway. Where? Which is she? Oh, the girl over there in white, with the tall man. They're coming ashore now. Ah, he's the new husband, I suppose. Simon Doyle. It was in all the newspapers. They say she's simply roaming. How did she come by all that money? Her father, Mellowish Ridgeway, would you believe? <laughs> uh, married an American heiress, and Lynette inherited a vast fortune. She must be about the richest woman in England. She's quite beautiful, too. Well, try to make time for it, darling. We can easily stay a week or two if you like the place. Lucky devil. Fancy finding an heiress who hasn't got adenoids or flat feet. They look frightfully happy. <laughs> it isn't fair. Well, I'd better be off. I promised Mother I'd try and get her a parasol. Goodbye, Miss Otterbourne. <laughs> so, what is not fair, mademoiselle? It really seems a little too much for one person. Money, good looks, a marvellous figure, and... And love? Is that what you would say? But you do not know? 
he may have married her for her money. Didn't you see the way he looked at her? Oh, yes, mademoiselle. I saw all there was to see. Indeed, I saw something that you did not. What was that? I saw dark lines below a woman's eyes. I saw a hand that clutched a sunshade so tightly that the knuckles were white. What do you mean? I mean that all is not gold that glisters. I mean that though this lady is rich and beautiful and beloved, there is all the same something that is not right. <laughs> well, I suppose I'd better do something about Mother's wretched photograph. Goodbye, Monsieur Poirot. Goodbye, Mademoiselle Rosalie. I know that somewhere at some time I have heard the voice of Simon Doyle, though I cannot remember where. Ah, but of course. It was in Monsieur Blondin's restaurant. And over there, if I am not mistaken, is the girl who was with him. Why don't we get a boat out to the islands? There's plenty of time. Oh, yes, I've always... Hello, Lynette. What a coincidence. We never seem to stop running into one another. Hello, Simon. How are you? Hello, Jacqueline. We, um... Didn't expect to see you here. Life is full of surprises, isn't it? Simon, for God's sake, what are we going to do? What a gathering of notabilities, Monsieur Poirot. I expect we shall see a paragraph about it in the paper soon. Society beauty, celebrated detective, <laughs> famous novelist. You have a novel on hand at the moment, Mrs. Sotterbaum? Mother is waiting for the muse to put in an appearance. My daughter is quite right for once. I've been dreadfully lazy, but my public is getting terribly impatient. Not to mention my publisher, poor man. Frantic fields by every post, even cables. <laughs> I don't mind telling you, Monsieur Poirot. I'm here for the local colour. Snow on the desert space. That is the title of my new book. Snow! on the desert, melted in the first flaming breath of fat. The libraries will vanish, of course, but what does that matter? Sex. <gasps> Monsieur Poirot, why is everyone so afraid of sex? You have read my book? Alas, madame. You comprehend, I do not read many novels. Uh, my work... I must give you a copy of Under the Fig Tree. I think you will find it significant. That is most kind of you, madame. Oh, Rosalie, I left a copy on my chair in the smoking room. Be a darling and get it for me, will you? Yes, mother. Let me congratulate you, madame, on a very lovely daughter. Rosalie? Oh, yes, yes, she is good-looking. But she's very hard, Monsieur Poirot. And no sympathy with illness. She imagines that she knows more about my health than I do myself. Uh, would you care for a liqueur, madame? Waiter. No. <laughs> no. I'm practically a teetotaler. You must have noticed I never drink anything but water or perhaps lemonade. Uh -huh. I can't bear the taste of spirits. Yes, monsieur. A uh, lemonade for madame and for me a glass of Benedictine. At once, monsieur. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's not like that at all. <laughs> that rich girl is remarkably good looking. A deeply passionate soul, I am certain. Uh, tell me, madame, mm -hmm. who is the man who is with her and her husband? Oh, that's Mr. Pennington. I believe he's some sort of financial advisor. Oh, what an entrance! Hmm? What did you say, madame? Well, that girl in the burgundy dress who just sat herself down opposite Lynette Ridgway. She seems to think she's really somebody. Here's your book, mother. 
I'll inscribe it for you, Monsieur Poirot. <laughs> Will you take a drink, mademoiselle? No, nothing. Thank you. Dearly, unconventional, passionate. <laughs> That's the way the publisher summed it up. Here you are, Monsieur Poirot. Um, honored, madame. Uh, one lemonade, one Benedict. Thank you. And, uh, there is a note for you from the American lady. She said it was most urgent. Oh, thank you. Hmm. Oh, thank you, monsieur. A votre santé, madame. You know who I am, Monsieur Poirot? Yes, madame, I know exactly who you are. And I've heard a great deal about you, and I know you are a very clever man. It happens that I'm urgently in need of someone to help me, and I think very possibly that you are the man who would do it. You are very amiable, madame, but you see, I am on holiday, and when I am on holiday, I do not take cases. <laughs> that could be arranged. Monsieur Poirot, I'm being subjected to an intolerable persecution. My own idea was to go to the police about it, but my husband seems to think that they would be powerless to do anything. Hmm. Perhaps if you could explain a little further? The matter is perfectly simple. Before I met my husband, he was engaged to a Mr. Belfort. She was also a friend of mine. My husband broke off his engagement to her. They were not suited in any way. She, I am sorry to say, took it rather hard. She made certain, well, threats, to which I paid very little attention. But instead, she has adopted the extraordinary course of following it about wherever we go. Hmm. A rather unusual form of revenge. Uh, you are, I understand, on your honeymoon. Yes, the first time she appeared was in Venice. Then we understood she was going to Palestine, but when we got to Nina House, she was there, waiting for us. And now? We came up the Nile by boat. When she wasn't aboard, I thought she had stopped being so childish. But when we got here, she was here, waiting for us. And you are afraid that this state of things may continue? There must be some way of stopping it. Oh, you can always leave, move somewhere else. Then she will follow. Very probably, yes. Anyway, why should I run away, as though... Exactly, madame. As though. It is all there, is it not? What do you mean? Why do you mind so much, madame? I don't deny that Jackie was passionately in love with Simon. But even before he met me, he was beginning to feel that he had made a mistake. Look at it clearly, Monsieur Poirot. Simon discovers that it is I whom he loves, not Jackie. What is he to do? Be heroically noble and marry a woman he doesn't care for and ruin three lives in the process? I admit that it was terribly hard on Jackie, and I'm terribly sorry about it, but there it is. It was inevitable. I wonder. What do you mean? It is very sensible, very logical, all that you say, but it does not account for one thing. What do you mean? Your profound sense of guilt. How dare you? Ah, but I do dare, madame. I suggest that although you may have endeavored to gloss over the fact to yourself, you did deliberately set about taking Mr. Doyle away from your friend. I suggest that the initiative came from you, not from him. You had everything, madame, that life can offer. Your friend's life was bound up in one person. You knew that, but you did not hold your hand. Couldn't you talk with her? Reason with her? Yes, I could do that. I will do that if you would like me to do so, but do not expect too much. I fancy that Mademoiselle de Belfort is so much in the grip of a fixed idea that nothing will turn her from it. Jackie is extraordinary. One can't tell what she will do. You spoke just now of certain threats she had made. Would you tell me what those threats were? She threatened to... to well, uh, 
kill us both. Jackie can be rather Latin sometimes. Uh, she... You will act for me. No, madame. I will not accept a commission from you. I will do what I can in the interest of humanity. There is here a situation that is full of difficulty and danger. I will do what I can to clear it up, but... I am not at all sanguine as to my chance of success. Mademoiselle de Belfort, you permit that I speak with you for a little moment? Certainly. You are Monsieur Hercule Poirot, and you're going to act for Mrs. Doyle, who has promised you a huge fee if you succeed in your mission. Your assumption is partially correct. I have just come from Madame Doyle, but I am not accepting any fee from her, and strictly speaking, I'm not acting for her. Then why are you here? Have you ever seen me before, mademoiselle? No, I do not think so. Yet I have seen you. I sat at a nearby table once at Chez Matante. You were there with Monsieur Simon Doyle. Oh, yes. I remember that evening. Since then, many things have occurred. As you say, many things have occurred. Mademoiselle, I speak as a friend. Barry, you're dead. What do you mean? Give up the past. Turn to the future. What is done is done. Bitterness will not undo it. You have suffered, yes. But what you are doing will only prolong your suffering. Go home. You are young. You have brains. The world is before you. You don't understand. Simon is my world. You were in the restaurant that night. Simon and I loved each other. I know that you loved him. We loved each other. And I loved Lynette. I trusted her. She was my best friend. All her life, Lynette had been able to buy what she wanted. When she saw Simon, she wanted him, and she just took him. And he allowed himself to be bought. No, it wasn't like that. Look at the moon up there. You see her very plainly, don't you? But if the sun were to shine, you wouldn't be able to see her at all. I was rather like the moon. When the sun came out, Simon couldn't see me anymore. I know perfectly well that he wouldn't have fallen in love with her if she hadn't made him. That is what you think. That is what I know. He loved me. He will always love me. Even now? Oh, you don't have to tell me. He hates me. See this? Looks too little to be real, doesn't it? A very dainty little pistol. Would you really use it? My grandfather taught me to shoot in South Carolina. And my father fought several duels. He killed a man once over a woman. So you see, I've hot blood in my veins. At first, I thought I would kill one of them. But then I decided to wait. To follow them. Whenever they arrived at some romantic, faraway place, I would be there. And it worked. It got the net badly. In a way nothing else would have done. It got right under her skin. That was when I began to enjoy myself. I am poisoning everything for them. Oh, mademoiselle, I beseech you, do not open your heart to evil. Because if you do, evil will come. It will enter in and make its home within you. And after a little while, it will no longer be possible to drive it out. You can't stop me. No, I cannot stop you. Even if I were to kill her, you couldn't stop me. No, not if you were willing to pay the price. <laughs> what have I got to live for? Sometimes I want to hurt her. To stab a knife into her, to put my little pistol close against her head and then thrust with my finger and... <gasps> what is it, mademoiselle? There was someone standing over there. Huh? He's gone now. Well, there seems to be no one here but ourselves, mademoiselle. And I have said all that I came here to say. 
you understand that I can't do what you ask? No, I do not. For you could do it. There is always a moment when you can turn back. There must have been a moment when your friend Lynette could have turned back. She let it pass by. And if one does that, there is no second chance. No second chance? Do not let evil enter into you, mademoiselle. Take your chance. I can't do that, Monsieur Poirot. It's too late. In Agatha Christie's Death on the Nile, Hercule Poirot was played by John Moffat and Colonel Race by Donald Sindon. Jacqueline de Belfort, Amanda Barton Chapel, Simon Doyle, Robert Dawes, Lynette Ridgway, Elaine Pike, Mrs. Allerton, Rosemary Leach, Tim Allerton, Nicholas Bolton, Mrs. Otterborn, Shirley Dixon, Rosalie Otterborn, Emma Woodvine, Miss Van Schuler, Irene Sutcliffe, Cornelia, Teresa Gallagher, Pennington, Stratford Johns. With Timothy Bateson, Joanna Monroe, Sean Baker, Ed Bishop, Chris Pavlo, Christopher Scott, Robert Portal, Roger May, Ben Thomas, Yoan Meredith, Keith Drinkle, and Janet Moore. We present John Moffat as Hercule Poirot and Donald Sindon as Colonel Race in Agatha Christie's Death on the Nile. To fulfill the dream of a lifetime, I had decided to give myself a little holiday on the River Nile. At first, everything was calm and serene, but then... I found myself being drawn into a very curious affair, that of the newlywed Lynette and Simon Doyle, and of his former fiancée, Jacqueline de Belfort, who had followed them out to Egypt and deliberately haunted them with her presence. I'm glad of one thing, Monsieur Poirot. You've made Lynette realize we're more or less powerless in this matter. Mm-hmm. There is clearly no legal threat, Rice. Did you, uh, well, have you talked to Jackie, uh, to Mr. Belfort? Yes, I have spoken with her. Or did you get her to see any sense? I'm afraid not. Well, can't you see what an ass she's making of herself? Hasn't she got any pride or respect? She has only a sense of injury, shall we say. I'd understand better if she tried to take a pot shot at me. You think that might be more like her? Well, frankly, I do. She's hot-blooded and she's got an ungovernable temper. But this spying on us all the time, it's playing merry hell with Lynette's nerves. And yours? Well, I'd like to wring her neck. There is nothing of the old feeling left? Well, it sounds a caddish thing to say. But Jackie was too fond of me. A man doesn't want to feel owned body and soul. It's that damn possessive attitude. This man is mine. He belongs to me. And, and now that I see what Jackie is really like and the length she's likely to go to, I feel as if I've had rather a lucky escape. Have you any idea, Monsieur Doyle, what these lengths are? Uh, uh, what exactly do you mean? You know she carries a pistol about with her. Oh, I, I don't think she'll use it now. She might have done so earlier, but I believe it's got past that. It may be so. I'll tell you the plan I've made, and you can suggest any improvements on it. I've announced fairly openly that we're going to stay here for ten days. But tomorrow, the steamer Karnak starts from Shilal to Wadi Haifa. I propose to book passages on it under an assumed name. Tomorrow, we'll let it be known we're going on an excursion to Philae. Lynette's May can take our luggage onto the Karnak, and Lynette and I will join the boat at Shilal. When Jackie finds out we haven't come back, it'll be too late. We shall be well on our way. And suppose she waits here till you return? We may not return. We may go on to Khartoum, and then perhaps by air to Kenya. Well, she can't follow us all over the globe. Well, oh, what do you think of my plan? Mm, it may work. 
I too shall be on the car, and I could just part up my itinerary. Oh, that's not on our account, is it? Oh, I'd hate to no, think... No, 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 not at all. It was all arranged before I left London. I always make my plans well in advance. That's how the more skillful murderer behaves, I believe. You must tell us something about your more interesting cases on board the Carnac. No, no. That would be to talk, um... Uh, what do you call it? The shop. <laughs> yes, but that's your kind of shop. It is rather interesting. Mrs. Allerton thinks so. She's longing to get a chance to talk to you. Mrs. Ah, that is the charming lady with the very devoted son. Yes, she'll be on the Carnac too. Hmm. Tell me, who is the third member of your party, the tall, grey-haired gentleman? Pennington. He's the Nets American trustee. We ran across him by chance in Cairo. Ah, very well. You permit a question? Mm-hmm. She is of age, madame, your wife? Well, she isn't actually 21 yet, uh, but she didn't have to ask anyone's permission to marry me. It came as a complete surprise to Pennington. He left America on the Carmelie two days before Lynette's letter reached New York, so he knew nothing about it. The Carmelie? We ran into him in Shepherds in Cairo, and when we heard that he was coming up the Nile too, well, it was quite a relief in a way, being forced to talk about things other than Jackie. Tell me, was it your idea to come to Egypt for your honeymoon? Uh, no, of course not. As a matter of fact, I'd rather have gone almost anywhere else, but uh, Lynette was absolutely set on it, and so... Natural, have you? But I'd better be getting on. There's a lot to organise before we set off to Philae tomorrow. Good morning, Monsieur Poirot. Good morning, Mademoiselle de Belfort. You are to rest for riding. A little excursion into the desert? Nothing so romantic. I'm hiring a donkey and going off to explore the native villages. Are they of interest? Oh, they are picturesque, I believe. But do not spend large sums on native curios. Which are shipped here from Europe? Mm. I'm not so easy to deceive as that. Au revoir, Monsieur Bravo. Au revoir, Mademoiselle. Isn't that the girl who used to be engaged to Simon Doyle? Uh, yes, that is so. Oh, do excuse me. It's quite unforgivable of me to intrude on you like this. It's just idle curiosity, I'm afraid. Curiosity is never a vice as far as I am concerned. Rather the reverse. Um, Mrs. Allison, is it not? <laughs> That's right. You are Hercule Poirot. Uh-huh. It really is quite thrilling to meet you. When my son and I were in Mallorca, there was a Mrs. Leach who was telling the most wonderful stories about you. She'd lost her ruby ring bathing and was lamenting the fact that you had that to find it for her. Ah, pardon, but I am not the performing scene. <laughs> Um, this girl you were talking to, the one who used to be engaged to Simon Doyle, it may sound foolish, but she almost frightened me. She looked so intense. You are not far wrong, madame. A great force of emotion is always frightening. Mm. Do people interest you too, Monsieur Poirot? Or do you just reserve your interest for potential criminals? Oh, madame, that category would not leave many people outside it. Don't you really believe that? Mm, Given the particular incentive? Even I, perhaps? Mothers, madame, are singularly ruthless when their children are in danger. I think that's probably quite true. Your son is not with you this morning. Uh, no, no. He, uh, Tim had some letters to get off before we leave. We're doing the trip to the second cataract. I too, madame. Oh, it all sounds terribly complicated. A bus from here to the railway station, then a train to Shalal. Oh, it's only a short journey, I believe. But the steamer is much smaller than the boats on the lower Nile. Oh. I hope that it will not be too crowded.
Your cabin is on the promenade deck, Monsieur Pardo, close to the observation saloon. Uh, let me take your luggage. See. So, our little journey into Nubia begins, Mademoiselle Rosalie. You are pleased that we are leaving? Yes. I feel that I'm really getting away from things at last. Away from people. Uh, not altogether. There are still our fellow passengers. That lady coming aboard now, for instance. <laughs> she looks like a very old iguana. You haven't forgotten my dressing case, Cornelia. No, Cousin Marie. You mustn't let any of the porters touch it. Understand? Yes, Cousin Marie. My God, are those real diamonds? What a frightful old witch. But you got my paper cutter, haven't you? But look, there's Mrs. Doyle and her husband. I thought they said they were staying on at a swan. We've done it, Lynette. I really think we've thrown her off. Now we're going into the heart of Egypt, miles away from anywhere, into a fairy tale kingdom. Looks like we're off. Why, Lynette! I didn't expect to see you on the boat. Didn't you say you were staying on at a swan for another ten days? This is a surprise. I'm afraid, Mr. Poirot. I'm afraid of everything. All these rocks and the gorge on either side of us. It's all so fierce and so grim. What am I going to do? I've never felt like this before. I've always been nice to people, and now I feel surrounded by enemies. It's terrible to feel that there are people who hate you. You must calm yourself. How did Jackie know we were coming on this boat? How could she have known? She has brains, you know. I feel as though I shall never escape from her. Never, as long as I live. Darling, I do hope you don't mind. I've asked Monsieur Poirot to sit at our table. Mind? Of course I mind. Why? What's wrong? We don't want to be cooped up with an outsider, Mother, particularly on a small boat like this. We'll never get away from the wretched little man. Sorry, Tim. I really thought he would amuse you. After all, he must have some wonderful tales to tell. I wish you wouldn't have these bright ideas, Mother. We can't get out of it now, I suppose. Uh, you really permit, madame, that I shall avail myself of your kind suggestion? Of course. Do sit down, Monsieur Poirot. Thank you. <clears throat> Good evening, Monsieur Allen. Good evening. Ah, here's the passenger. Uh -huh. <laughs> let's try to identify everybody. I always think that's rather fun. Soup, madame. Okay, thank you so much. Oh, if they put Mademoiselle de Belfort at the same table as the Otterburns, I wonder what they'll make of each other. <laughs> now then, Monsieur. Dr. Bessner. Can we identify Dr. Bessner? No idea. Could be anybody. The fat man with the shaven head, perhaps. Oh, he doesn't seem to be enjoying his soup very much. Then, oh, there are the Doyle. Yeah, with Mr. Pennington, as usual. Who's yes, Mr. Fanthorpe? At that table there, perhaps? The quiet young man who never speaks. Rather nice face. And intelligent, too. Mm. He does not talk, but he listens very attentively. And he watches. I wonder what he's doing here. Mm. Now then, Mr. Ferguson. Ah, now, I can tell you all about him. He's at that table over there. As far as I'm concerned, the pyramids are great blocks of useless masonry stuck there to flatter the ego of some bloated pharaoh. And he's forever going on about the evils of capitalism and the dignity of labor. He doesn't look as if he's ever done a day's work in his life. Mm. Then there's Mr. Ricketti. 
Ah, the Italian archaeologist. Ah, and then there's Miss Van Schuller. Now, that must be the American lady who obviously thinks she's the queen of the boat and who's going to be very, very exclusive. And the two rather sad-looking women with her must be Miss Bowers and Miss Robson. Miss Bowers is her nurse and Miss Robson's some sort of poor relation. She trots after Miss Van Schuller like an obedient dog. I shall have to talk to Miss Van Schuller. She'll give you an old American snub, Mother. No, no, she won't. I shall just happen to sit down quite near her and talk, in the most casual manner, of course, about any titled friends and relatives I can remember. I think a casual mention of our second cousin once removed, the Duke of Glasgow might do the trick. A beautiful night, Mademoiselle de Belfort. Beautiful, yes. <laughs> and wonderfully peaceful. Mm-hmm. For those who are at peace. Were you surprised to find me on the boat? Not so much surprised as sorry. Very sorry. Sorry for me? That is what I meant. You have embarked on a dangerous journey on a swift-flowing river heading for who knows what currents of disaster. Why do you say that? Because it is true. You have cut the lines which moored you to safety. I doubt now if you could turn back, even if you wanted to. Yes. That is true. One must follow one star wherever it leads. Beware, mademoiselle, that it is not a false star. Even if it is, Monsieur Poirot, I cannot help but follow it. Uh, Mademoiselle Robson, is it not? That's right. And you are the famous Monsieur... Poirot, Mademoiselle. Hercule Poirot. And uh, did you enjoy your excursion to the Temple of Essambouar this morning? Oh, yes, it was marvellous. But your companion did not accompany you? Uh, no. no. Cousin Mabel, that's Miss Van Schuller, never gets up very early. She has to be very careful of her health. Oh. That's why her nurse, Miss Bowers, is travelling with us. I see. That's Mrs. Doyle over there in the corner, isn't it? Yes, that is correct. I think she's the most elegant woman I've ever seen, and so wealthy, of course. Lynette, I know it's rather tactless to talk business to a bride on her honeymoon, but there are just one or two things... Why, of course, Uncle Andrew. There are a few documents in which I need your signature. Of course. No time like the present? Well, they're just here. Her husband just worships the ground she walks on, doesn't he? And he's so English... And I think that grey-haired lady you're with is so distinguished, too. Mrs. Arapon? Oh, she's a cousin to a duke, I believe. She was talking about him right near us last night. Is she actually titled herself? Excuse me, but uh, can you possibly tell me when we arrive at Abu Simbel? Uh, sometime tomorrow morning, I believe. But all the details are pinned up on the bulletin board. Oh, thank you. So sorry to have disturbed you. <laughs> what a very odd young man. Who is he? I think his name is Fanthorpe. Perhaps it's just because he's English. Ah. Now he's gone to hang round Mrs. Doyle's table. Mercy, have I got to sign all these? Oh, it's tough on you, Lynette. I know, but I need to get your affairs into proper shape. Now, this is the lease on the Fifth Avenue mm-hmm. property, and the Western Land Concession. You just sign there mm-hmm. and there. Mm, just a second. Oh, it's only the transfer. 
You needn't read it. I'll just look it through. Well, you're not going to read the whole lot, are you, darling? We'll be here all day. <laughs> My father always taught me to read everything through. He said there might be some clerical error. Uh, you're a good woman of business, Lynette. Well, she's much more conscientious than I'd be. I sign where they tell me, on the dotted line, and that's that. <laughs> well, that's frightfully flitshot. I hope I'm not butting in, but you must let me say how much I admire your capacity for business, Mrs. Doyle. I'm a lawyer, and I find ladies sadly unbusinesslike. Never to sign a document unless you've read it through is admirable. Altogether admirable. Well, thank you, Mr... Next, please, Uncle Andrew. I think perhaps at some other time might be better, as your husband says. If you have to read through all these, we'll be here all day. We should be enjoying the scenery. We can attend to your business affairs later. Makes you want to puke, doesn't it? Huh? What is it that makes you want to puke, Monsieur Ferguson? That girl in there, signing share transfers and throwing her weight about. Hundreds and thousands of wretched workers slaving for a mere pittance to keep her in silk stockings. Never done a hand's turn in her life. Nor have you, by the look of you. I work with my brain, the little grey cells, and I am not ashamed of it. And so what do you do then? I am a detective. Good God. Do you mean you're one of that woman's lackeys? No, I have no connection whatever with Madame Doyle. I am on vacances. Hmm. Enjoying a little vacation. And you? You are not on holiday also? Holiday? No, I'm here to study social conditions. Indeed. In that case, I will leave you to your studies, monsieur. Oh, oh, no. Oh. Sorry, I, I <laughs> mean... <laughs> no, 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 no. Do not derange yourself, Madame Autobahn. Hold on to me. It is quite all right. Oh. It's the motion of the boat, you know. Mm -hmm. I never did have any sea legs. I was just going to... Oh! Oh, if only the boat would keep still. To oh. be left alone. Hour after hour. No, no, no. I will send your daughter to you, madam. Oh. Go back into your cabin. Oh. It will be safe or so. You might be swept overboard. Mr. Allison, I can't believe that. It, it, it's true, I tell you. <laughs> Excuse me, Mademoiselle Rosalie, but your mother is asking for you. Is she? Oh, my God, what a bore. Hmm. You really can't make that child out. One minute she's as happy as anything, the next she's downright rude. Spoilt and bad-tempered, if you ask me. No, I don't think it's that. I think she's unhappy. Oh, well, I suppose we all have our private troubles. No, Monsieur Perrault. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite so wonderful in all my life. Ma chère Mademoiselle Rodson, Abu Simba has been called the eighth wonder of the ancient world. It's the way those statues are hewn out of the cliff. Almost as if they'd grown out of it. And they're so big and so peaceful. Who are they supposed to be? They are figures of Ramesses II. Uh, you know, Monsieur Perrault, I'm truly glad now that we came on this trip... And Lynette seems to have got her nerve back at last. She's actually facing up to this business. I think that is very probable. We're both agreed we're not going to hide from Jackie anymore. We'll just meet her on her own ground and show her that this ridiculous stunt of hers doesn't worry us a bit. Well, that ought to show her. Yes, it should show her. Come on, darling. The tour for Abba Simbol's just setting off. I don't want to miss it.
Above the doorway between the statues, you will see a figure of Ra, the god of the sun. On either side appear the god Mark and the god Usher. That is the one with the head of the jackal. Above those, high up on the cliff, you can make out a frieze of 22 baboons. In the great temple of Ramesses II is aligned west to east, so that the sun can penetrate its interior. This happens only twice a year, on the 21st of February and the 21st of October. This is your first visit to Egypt, Mr. Pennington? No, as a matter of fact, I came out here in 1923. But this is my first trip up the Nile. Uh, Madame Doyle was telling me that you came over from America on the Kamenik. Yeah, that is so. Hmm. I was wondering if you happened to encounter some friends of mine who were aboard the... Washington Smith. Well, I can't recall anyone with that name, but uh, the boat was full and we had bad weather. Some passengers <laughs> never appeared at all. Ah. You have known Madame Doyle for many years, I understand. Well, Annette, I've, I've known her since she was so high. Her father and I were lifelong friends. Now I'm her financial advisor. And she's coming to a very considerable fortune. Yeah, Lynette is a very wealthy woman. Mm, I suppose that the recent slump is bound to affect any stocks, however sound they may be. Yeah, that's true to a certain extent. The position is very complicated, but but you must excuse me, Mr. Porter. I want to get a really good look at those statues. Of course, of course. It says here that the name of one of these gods or goddesses was Mutt. <laughs> Can you believe it? Cornelia, have you got my shawl? Give it to me. Yes, Cousin Marie. From 1292 to 1225 B.C. He defeated the Hittites at Kadesh and married a Hittite princess. The great temple was the center of the monument. It was lavishly decorated with mural paintings and statues of the pharaoh and with his gods. This place gives me the creeps. Where are these people supposed to be anyway? That one's Armin, I think. Mm. And this, I imagine, is Osiris. And the one over there is Ramses again. Don't you think they're impressive? Well, they're far too impressive for me. I don't care for them. I want to go back into the sunlight. How lovely it is here. I feel warm and safe and happy. For the first time, I feel really happy. And that's the way it's going to be from now on. Oh, another two feet to your height, and you would have been crushed to atoms. How did it happen? Did some fool shove that boulder over the cliff, or, or did it get attached on its own? I think someone did it deliberately. Oh, let us go back to the boat, madame. You must have a restorative. Thank you, Monsieur Parra. I feel better now that we're away from those threatening cliffs. Madame, well, I must admit, when I saw that thing hurtling down towards you, Lynette, I thought you were a goner. It all happened so quickly. I didn't really see what it was. I'm afraid I'm a little on the late side. Is the guide still there? Uh, uh, yes, he's, uh, he's over at the temple. I wouldn't want to miss it for the world. She was on the boat all the time. Yes. It's um, quite a relief in a way. For a moment, I thought... Yes, I know what you thought. But if it wasn't Jackie, that means there's someone else who wants to kill me.
telegram on the notice board for me. I wonder what it can be. What on earth? What's the matter? I don't understand. Potatoes, artichokes, beetroots. What does it mean, Simon? What do you think you are doing? <laughs> Give that to me. Did no one teach you to read? Here's your name, Ricchetti. Who on earth was that? Ricchetti. He's an archaeologist, I think. Ricchetti, I thought it said Ridgeway. <laughs> but you're not Ridgeway anymore. <laughs> stupid. Do you think I ought to apologise? No, I don't. He was bloody rude. They just don't care, Monsieur Poirot. They don't mind if I'm here or not. I can't hurt them anymore. And now we are at our furthest point up the Nile. Tomorrow we shall begin our journey back to Shalau. You were right. I should never have come on this journey in the first place. What did you call it? A, a journey of the soul. But I can't turn back now. I've got to go on. And I shall go on. They shan't be happy together. They shan't. I'd rather kill them. <laughs> Your girlfriend seems a trifle upset, Poirot. What? Oh, Colonel Rice. Bit of a surprise, eh? A very different setting from our last meeting. Uh, Mr. Shaitana's little bridge party. Oh. I was always sorry I wasn't able to see that one through to the end. And now you are here at Wadi Haifa. Yes. And I shall be your fellow passenger on the trip back to Shalau. Oh, that is very interesting, Colonel. Shall we perhaps go down to the saloon and have a little drink together? <laughs> one whiskey mm. and one double orange and sugar. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you, So, you are making your return journey with us, Colonel. Mm. You would go faster, would you not, on the government steamer which travels by night as well as by day? <laughs> You've hit the nail on the head as usual, Poirier. So, it is the passengers which interest you. One of them. Now, yes. which one, I wonder? Unfortunately, I don't know myself. There's no need to conceal anything from you. We've had a good deal of trouble out here, one way or another, over the past months. It isn't the people who are ostensibly leading the rioters that we're after. No, we know all about them. Is the men who are putting the match to the gunpowder keg. There were three of them. One's dead, one's in prison. I want the third man. A man with five or six cold-blooded murders to his credit. And he is on the boat? Yes. Do you have a description of him? Uh, no, no, no. He, he's supposed to be of American, Irish, and French descent. It doesn't help much, does it? Any ideas? An idea which is all very well, but... There is something happening on this boat, Colonel, which causes me disquietude. Uh, well, tell me. Figure it to yourself. A person A who has grievously wronged a person B. The person B desires revenge and is making threats. A and A and B both being on board this boat. Precisely. And a B, I gather, being a woman. Exactly. Uh, who is A, by the way? A particularly disagreeable person. Au contraire, a charming and beautiful young lady. I'm not happy, my friend. If I'm right, and after all I am constantly in the habit of being right, then there is a matter for grave inquietude. And now you add yet another complication. You tell me that there is a man on the Karnak who is a ruthless killer. Yeah, but he doesn't usually go around killing charming young ladies. 
Today, I advised the lady, Madame Doyle... Uh, Mrs. Doyle is ill. Yes. Earlier today, I advised her to go with her husband to Khartoum, not to return on this boat, but they would not listen to me. Oh, I pray to heaven that we arrive at Shalal without catastrophe. <laughs> aren't you... Aren't you taking rather a gloomy view? I am afraid, Colonel. Yes. I, Hercule Poirot, am afraid... In Agatha Christie's Death on the Nile, Hercule Poirot was played by John Moffat and Colonel Race by Donald Sindon. Jacqueline de Belfort, Amanda Barton Chapel, Simon Doyle, Robert Dawes, Lynette Ridgway, Elaine Pike, Mrs. Allerton, Rosemary Leach, Tim Allerton, Nicholas Bolton, Mrs. Otterborn, Shirley Dixon, Rosalie Otterborn, Emma Woodvine, Miss Van Schuler, Irene Sutcliffe, Cornelia, Teresa Gallagher, Pennington, Stratford Johns. With Timothy Bateson, Joanna Munro, Sean Baker, Ed Bishop, Chris Pavlo, Christopher Scott, Robert Portal, Roger May, Ben Thomas, Yoan Meredith, Keith Drinkle, and Janet Moore. Death on the Nile was dramatized by Michael Bakewell and directed by Enid Williams. We present John Moffat as Hercule Poirot and Donald Sindon as Colonel Race in Agatha Christie's Death on the Nile. I had achieved the dream of a lifetime. I had traveled up the Nile, and I had seen the temples of Luxor and Abu Simbel. Yet I was not happy, for on our boat there was a murder in the making. Jacqueline de Belfort had threatened to kill her former friend, Mrs. Doyle, for stealing her fiancé. And yet, when an attempt was made upon Madame Doyle's life, during an expedition to one of the temples, Jacqueline de Belfort was on board the boat far from the scene of the crime. Was there another passenger on board who had reasons for wanting the death of Lynette Doyle? You know, you're really rather a nice person, Miss Robson. Why the hell do you let yourself be bullied and put upon by that hideous Van Schuler woman? Oh, Don't you know that you're every bit as good as she is? But I'm not. Cousin Marie's very cultured. Cultured? The word makes me sick. She wouldn't like to think we were talking together like this, would she? I don't know, Mr. Ferguson. You know damn well she wouldn't. Because she thinks I'm not her social equal. I wish she wouldn't get so worked up about things. It's such a lovely night. Don't you realize that everyone is born free and equal? Of course people aren't equal. I know I'm kind of homely looking, and I used to feel mortified about it sometimes. And I can't help wishing that I'd been born beautiful and elegant like Mrs. Doyle. Mrs. Doyle. She's the kind of woman that ought to be shot as an example. I can't bear that kind of silly talk. I'd better get back to the saloon. Cousin Marie will be wondering where I've got to. Cornelia, where have you been? What have you done with my velvet stole? I have no idea, Cousin Marie. Shall I see if it's in your cabin? It isn't in the cabin. I had it just after dinner in here, and I haven't moved out of the saloon. It was on that chair. I can't see it anywhere, Cousin Marie. Nonsense. I know it's here. Oh, I'm going to bed. When you've found it, bring it to my cabin. Wait, sir. Yes, mademoiselle. Bring me a large gin and tonic. At once, mademoiselle. You look sleepy, monsieur Poirot. Oh, it is true, mademoiselle de Belfort. I am consumed with sleep. I can hardly keep my eyes open. 
Oh, I think I must go to my cabin. It's the weather. So close, so oppressive. It must be that, yes. It's been the sort of day when you feel that something is going to go snap and break. When one can't go on any longer. Oh. Good night, Monsieur Poirot. Good night, mademoiselle. What are you looking for, Miss Robson? Oh, Cousin Marie's stole. It's not here. She must have left it in a cabin. Have you been ashore? No. Only out on the deck. It's beautiful now. Who's the man playing bridge with the Doyles and Mr. Pennington? Oh, he's Colonel Brace, I believe. Roman, we're waiting for you to call. What? Oh, um, uh, sorry. Uh, uh, pass. You drink, mademoiselle. Oh, thank you. Can I get you one, Miss Robson? No, thanks. Suit yourself. Here's to crime. Waiter. Yes, mademoiselle. Bring me another, please. Yes, mademoiselle. Sorry, Mr. Pennington. Stupid of me not to return your lead. That gives them the rubber. Well, uh, <laughs> I'm sleepy. I'm going to bed. What? Uh, you are you, time to turn in. Uh, come along, Pennington. Are you coming, Simon? Uh, not just yet. I think I'll have a drink, please. Don't be long. I won't. Uh, good night, Mr. Pennington. Good night, Colonel. Good night. It's time for me, too, I think. Don't go to bed yet, Miss Robson. Please don't. I feel like making a knife of it. Don't desert me. Oh, we girls must stick together. You're gin and tonic, mademoiselle. Thanks. Oh, do have something, Miss Robson. No, thanks. It really is getting rather late. You can't go to bed yet. Tell me all about yourself. There isn't much to tell. I've just lived at home and I haven't been around much. This is my first trip abroad and I'm loving every minute of it. You're a happy sort of a person, aren't you? God, I'd love to be you. Oh, but surely... Why did you decide to come here? Oh, I didn't decide anything. It was Cousin Marie. I could hardly believe it when she suggested to Mother that I should come away with her. And you're obviously enjoying yourself. Oh, it's been simply wonderful. Simon! Will you ring the bell? I want another drink. The service has gone to bed. It's past midnight. I told you I want another drink. You've had quite enough to drink, Jackie. What business is it of yours? None. Oh, what's the matter, Simon? Are you afraid? I really think you're uh, Don't go to bed. I want another woman here to support me. <laughs> Do you know what Simon's afraid of? <laughs> He's afraid. I'm going to tell you the story of my life story of your life. He treated me rather badly. Didn't you, Simon? Go to bed, Jackie. You're drunk. It's so late. I really... You're not to go. You're to stay and hear what I've got to say. Jackie, you're making a fool of yourself. For God's sake, go to bed. Oh, you're afraid of the skin, aren't you, Simon? That's because you're so English, so reticent. You want me to behave decently, isn't that it? But I don't care whether I behave decently or not. <laughs> you damned fool. Do you think you can treat me the way you have done and get away with it? I told you that I'd kill you sooner than see you go to another woman. You don't think I mean it, do you? But you're wrong. You're my man, Simon. You belong to me. Jackie, for goodness sake. I told you I'd kill you and I meant it. Don't you go like a dog. Jackie, for, for God's sake, put that down. I told you. What's else going on? You oh, God, your leg's bleeding badly. Fennel, I don't want anyone to know about this. Say it's just an accident. I don't want to scandal over this business. What is it, Will it? What's happened? 
it's all right. It's nothing. We were just having a bit of fun. It's a game. Oh, I see a, a game. That's all right. Let's hope nobody else heard it. Now we'd better see to this man. Get that to her, Captain Fasten. Miss Robson, look at Sarah. See if you can get hold of the hospital nurse that looks after your cousin. I don't want Jackie left on her own. Don't leave her until she's got the nurse to look after her. Then get hold of... Oh, what's the name of the doctor? Jack Gould, what? Dr. Banker. Just get him here. But for God's sake, don't let any news of this get to my wife. I understand. I'll do just as you say. Come on, Miss Belfort. <laughs> I think you'd better go for the nurse straight away. I'll look after myself. I'll go and find him. I must go back. You're not, I, I can't leave him there. He, he, he could be bleeding to death. He'll be all right for a little while, I'm sure. He'll be all right. Let me go. Oh, oh God, I want to kill myself. Oh, God, what have I done? So, Mr. Doyle, I have done the best that I can. You've lost a lot of blood, but the bleeding has stopped now. You've been quite a hero, my friend. There's, there's something I've just remembered. That pistol of hers. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. It must be lying around somewhere in the saloon. We ought not to leave it there, Fanfall. You're right. I'll go and get it now. Mm. You'd uh, better stay here in my cabin for the time being, Mr. Doyle. Oh, what should we do about your wife? Uh, she didn't know until morning. Is someone with Jackie? Ah, yes. Miss Bowers, the nurse, is looking after her. Uh, she's given her a morphine injection. Oh, you mustn't blame her. It's all my fault. I've treated her disgrace. And now I am going to give you something to make you sleep. Oh, yes. Yes, I'd like that, Dr. Bessler. Oh, poor Jackie. She didn't know what she was doing. Yes? What is it? Look, Dr. Bessner, I can't find that pistol. I've been over every inch of the saloon. It's gone. But who can have taken it? God knows. It's very curious. But there's nothing we can do about it now. We'd better wait until morning. Come in. Poirot. What is it, Colonel? A little early for a social visit? Your instinct was quite right. It's happened. What has happened, Colonel? Lynette Doyle is dead. Huh? She was shot through the head last night in her cabin. Oh, aren't you? They placed the whole matter in my hand. The boat's due to start in half an hour, but it will remain here and not move until I give the word. 
There's a possibility that the murderer came from the shore. Mm, I do not think that is likely. Well, perhaps one can rule that out. I agree. Uh, Besner should be in Mrs. Doyle's cabin by now. I sent the steward for him. Uh, then we had better go and hear what he has to say. Yeah. Uh, she was shot at very close range. You see here? Just above the ear. That is where the bullet entered. A very little bullet. I should say a... Twenty-two. Mm-hmm. The pistol was held close against her head. You see? There's blackening there. Mm. The skin was scorched. You see? <laughs> she was asleep. There was no struggle. The murderer crept up in the dark and shot her as she lay here. But that cannot be true. But that is what happened, I tell you. Yes, 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 yes. I did not mean that. I was not contradicting you. But what is this? What is what? This letter J is cold on the wall. And there is blood on the dead woman's finger. Well, I am damned. What do you make of it? It is very simple, is it not? Madame Doyle is dying. She wishes to make known her killer, so she writes in her own blood the initial letter of the murderer's name. Is that what you think? No, it is not what I think. It is absurd. The poor lady died instantaneously. But it was done with a purpose. What does J stand for? It stands for Jacqueline de Belfort. A young lady who declared to me only a few days ago that she would like nothing better than to put her little pistol close against Madame Doyle's head and press the trigger. That was just what was done here. Uh, What was the time of death? I would not care to be too precise. She has certainly been dead for six hours and probably not longer than eight. Ah, That that puts the time of the murder between uh, midnight and uh, and, uh, 2 a.m. That is so. Uh, What about her husband? I suppose he sleeps in the cabin next door. At the moment, he is asleep in my cabin. Huh? What is that? Oh, I see. You have not yet been informed. Mr. Doyle was shot last night in the saloon. Huh? Shot? By whom? By the young lady, Jacqueline de Belfort. Oh, mon dieu. Well, is he, is he badly hurt? Yes, the bone was splintered. I've done all that I can, but it is necessary that the fracture should be x-rayed as soon as possible. Are we to believe that Jacqueline de Belfort shot Doyle and then went along to his wife's cabin and shot her as well? No, I do not think so. For one thing, she would not write her own initial on the wall. That would be ridiculous. Then someone did it to throw suspicion on her. Well, if that is so, then the criminal was unlucky. Because, you see, it is not only unlikely that the young woman committed the murder, it is virtually impossible that she could have done so. Well, how is that? I think it would be best if I explained what happened last night. Then you can judge for yourselves. And you are certain that Miss Bowers stayed in Mademoiselle de Belfort's cabin all the time? As certain as I can be. In any case, she administered a very heavy sedative. Who discovered the crime? Mrs. Doyle's maid, Louise Bourget. She went to call her mistress as normal, found her dead, and flopped into the steward's arms in a faint. Doyle must be told. I mean, you say he's still asleep? Uh, Yes, but I will go along to my cabin and see how he is. Thank you, Doctor. So, uh, what do we do now, Poirot? You're the man in charge. The boat won't move until you're satisfied. I'll take my orders from you. We must set up a court of inquiry. I suggest the saloon. First, we must question Miss Robson and Mr. Fanthorpe to verify the story of last night. I particularly want to know what happened to that pistol. After... After Miss de Balfour had shot Mr. Doyle, she dropped it. Then she kicked it away with her foot. I think she kind of hated it. Uh, but what happened to it? It went under a city. Are you certain that Mademoiselle de Belfort did not recover it before she left the saloon? Uh, yes, I'm certain. Then we arrive at this point. 
When Mademoiselle de Belfort leaves the room, the pistol is under the settee. And since she was not left alone at any time, that is correct? Yes, that is correct. She had no opportunity to get back the pistol after she had left the saloon. Now, what time was it, Mr. Panthorpe, when you went to look for it? It must have been just before half past twelve. And how long would have elapsed between the time you and Dr. Bessner carried Simon Doyle out of the saloon and your coming back to look for the pistol? About fifteen minutes, perhaps a little more. Then, in that fifteen minutes, someone removes the pistol from where it lay out of sight under the settee. It seems highly probable that the person who took it was the murderer of Madame Doyle. We may assume, too, that the person had overheard or seen something of the events in the saloon. But I was out on deck just before the shot was fired. On which side? On the starboard side. Then if there had been anyone on the port side looking through the glass, you would not have seen him? No. Very well. Now, Miss Robson, I have no more questions for you. Okay, Monsieur Pearl. Thank you, Miss Robson. Thank you. Uh, tell me, Monsieur Fanthorpe, what are your reasons for visiting this country? Well, pleasure, I suppose. You take uh, the holiday, is that it? Yes. Hmm. After it was all over and you went back to your cabin last night, did you hear anything? Anything at all? I think I heard some kind of splash, just as I was dropping off. Nothing else. And what time would that be? Oh, I was half asleep. It might have been one o'clock. Uh, I really can't say. Ah. Thank you, Mr. Panthorpe. Mm. That will be all. Thank you, Monsieur Poirot. Mm, thank you. Mm. Yes, well, uh, so, someone pinched the pistol. It couldn't have been Jacqueline de Belfort, but whoever did it knew that she would be the most likely suspect. But that someone did not know that a nurse was going to give her morphine and would sit up with her all night. I didn't do it, my Everyone will think I did, but I swear it wasn't me. I, I wanted to kill Simon last night. I must have been out of my mind. My dear, we know that you did not kill Mrs. Doyle. It is proved it could not have been you. But who did it, then? That is just the question we are asking. Can you help us there, my child? I can't think of anyone who wanted her dead. Except me. What is so horrible is that she died just as I said. Yes, mademoiselle. She was shot through the head. But then I was right. That night at the Cataract Hotel, there, there was someone listening. Yes. I wondered if you would remember that. It is altogether too much of a coincidence. But who could he have been? The man who was listening to us. You are certain that it was a man? No. No, I'm not. I, I just assumed it was, but it was really just a, a figure, a shadow. Will you come and speak to Mr. Doyle, please, Monsieur Poirot? He's asking to see you. Uh -huh. How is he? Is he all right? Oh, naturally, he's not all right. The bone is fractured. But he isn't going to die. Uh, who said anything about dying? All he needs is an X-ray and proper treatment. But it's, but it's crazy. Impossible. Well, apart, apart from Jackie, who could possibly have wanted to kill her? You are sure she had no enemies, no one who had a grudge against her? A grudge? Well, I, I know that she was upset about one of the names on the passenger list. But... Oh, what name, Mr. Doyle? Oh, she didn't actually tell me. As a matter of fact, I wasn't listening very carefully. Uh, as far as I can remember, it was someone who had a grudge against her father. You are quite sure that she did not mention this person's name? As I said, I wasn't paying much attention. Well, what can we do to find out? Colonel Face and I must interview all the passengers. 
and it would be sensible to begin with your wife's maid. Now, perhaps, Colonel Ress, it would be as well if we were to do that in here. Monsieur Doyle's presence might be useful. Oh, good idea, yes. Had she been with Mrs. Doyle long? Uh, about a couple of months. Did your wife have any valuable jewellery? Well, they were her pearls. She once told me they were worth forty or fifty thousand. Um, do you think that was why? It's a possible motive, but all the same, it seems hardly credible. So, let us talk to the maid. She may be able to help us. When Madame came back sometime after eleven, I cannot say exactly when, I undressed her and put her to bed. Then I left. How long did all that take? Oh, ten minutes at most, monsieur. Madame was tired. She told me to put the lights out when I went. Yeah, and when you left her, uh, what did you do? I went down to my own cabin on the deck below. And you saw nothing more that can help us? Oh, how could I, monsieur? That, mademoiselle, is for you to say, not us. But I was nowhere near. My cabin is on the deck below, on the other side of the boat. Naturally, if I had been unable to sleep and I had mounted the stairs, then perhaps I might have seen the murderer enter or leave Madame's cabin. But as it is... Monsieur Doyle, you see how it is. What can I say? My good girl, don't be so silly. You'll be quite all right. Nobody's accusing you of anything. And we take it, then, that you saw and heard nothing. That is what I said, monsieur. Tell me, Mademoiselle Louise, do you know anything about your mistress's pearls? Her pearls? She was wearing them last night. You saw them when she came to bed? Yes, monsieur. Where did she put them? On the table, by the side, as always. Did you see them there this morning? Oh, mon dieu. I did not even look. I came up to the bed, and I saw Madame, and then I rushed out. You did not look. But I have the eyes which notice. And there were no pearls on the table beside the bed this morning. I am certain of that. You know, Poirot, it's just occurred to me. You remember that Fanthorpe said that he thought he might have heard a splash last night? Well, I have a kind of recollection of hearing something of the sort myself. It's perfectly possible that after the killing, the murderer threw the pistol overboard. No, no, my friend, it is just not credible. Uh, even so, I might get the crew to take a look. Where do you think the pistol is, then? Now, there is logically only one place where it could be. <laughs> Where's that? In Mademoiselle de Belfort's cabin. Ah, do you think we should investigate? No, 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 my friend. That would be precipitate. It may not have been put there yet. So where do we go from here? I think we should establish whether anyone heard anything which might give a clue as to the time of the crime. Ah, ah, and then we should start with the occupant of the cabin immediately next to Mrs. Doyle's. Mm, that is Mademoiselle von Schuller. If anybody heard anything, she should have done I dislike being mixed up in this business. I resent it very much. I do not wish to be associated with this very unpleasant and squalid affair. Exactly. I'm just saying to Monsieur Poirot that the sooner we took your statement, the better, so that you would have no further trouble. Thank you. Madame, would you be so good as to tell us what time you went to bed last night? Ten o'clock is my usual time. 
But last night I was very late, as Cornelia kept me up waiting. I understand. And uh, did you hear anything after you retired? I was woken up by that flashy young maid of Mrs. Doyle's who said, Bon nuit, madame, in what I cannot but think was an unnecessarily loud voice. Mm -hmm. And after that? I went to sleep again. And then I woke up thinking someone was in my cabin. But I realized the sounds came from the cabin next door. Uh, uh, Mrs. Doyle's cabin? Yes. Then I heard someone outside, on the deck, mm. and there was a splash. And have you any idea what time this was? I can tell you the time, exactly. I looked at the little clock that stands by my bed. It was ten minutes past one. You did not hear a shot? No. Nothing of the kind. But it might possibly have been a shot that wakened you. It might. And you have no idea what caused the splash you heard? On the contrary. I know perfectly. Uh, you, you know? Certainly. I didn't like all the prowling around that was going on. I got up and went to the door of my cabin. I saw Miss Otherborn leaning over the side. She had just dropped something into the water. Miss Otterborn? Oh, yes. I saw her face quite distinctly. She did not see you? I don't think so. And what did her face look like, mademoiselle? She was in a condition of considerable emotion. And then... She went away around the stern of the boat, and I returned to bed. Come in. We've got it, Carol. Oh, excellent. Hmm? Well done. Yes. I'll leave it here on the table, will you? Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Full marks. Thank you, sir. What is it? Now, the pistol. I knew I was right. It was thrown overboard. Now, is this the one that Jacqueline de Belfort had in her hand back at the Cataract Hotel that night? Yes, that is it. You see there, the initials J.B. Uh, ah, Jacqueline de Belfort. This is an article de luxe, a very feminine production, but that does not make it any the less lethal. And what about my stole? Your stole? Yes, that is my velvet stole you have there. It's no. ruined. Huh? It was wrapped around the pistol. You're sure it is yours, Miss Vanjula? Of course it's mine. I missed it last night. Cornelia thought I must have left it in my cabin. You realize what it's been used for, don't you? The murderer wrapped it around the pistol to deaden the noise of the shot. Oh, disgusting. It was a very expensive stole. And this, uh, this pink handkerchief. Is this yours, too? Of course not. It's cheap and nasty. I would be grateful if you would tell me the extent of your previous acquaintance with Mrs. Doyle. There was no previous acquaintance. But you knew of her. I knew who she was, of course. Yes, but your families were not acquainted. As a family, we have always prided ourselves on our pedigree. My dear grandmother would never have dreamed of calling on the Ridgeway family. They may have had money, but they were nobodies. I never set eyes on Lynette Ridgeway until I came aboard this boat. And now, that is enough questions. I'm going back to my cabin. And let me have that stole back when you finish with it. I need it for the insurance. Mm -hmm. And that's all we're likely to get out of her. Mm -hmm. But if it really was Rosalie Otterborn who threw the pistol overboard... It does not make sense. None of it makes sense. Uh, what do you mean? I mean that up to a point it is all but clear selling. 
Someone wanted to kill Mrs. Doyle. Someone overheard the scene in the saloon last night. Someone sneaked in and retrieved the pistol, Jacqueline de Belfort's pistol. Someone shot Lynette Doyle dead with that pistol and wrote the letter J on the wall. So far, all is clear. Everything is contrived to point to Jacqueline de Belfort as the killer. And then, what does the murderer do? Leave the pistol, the damning evidence for everyone to find? No. He th or she throws the pistol overboard. Why, my friend? Why? It is a bit odd. I admit. It's more than odd. It is impossible. No, it is not impossible since it happened. No, I do not mean that. I mean that the sequence of events is impossible. It simply does not make sense. Everything pointed to a particular pattern of crime. Does this mean that I, Hercule Poirot, am wrong? The steward said you wanted to see me, Colonel Race. What is it? Uh, Monsieur Poirot and I are investigating the death of Mrs. Doyle. I see. Now, will you tell us what you did last night, Mr. Thabon? Mother and I went to bed early, before 11. We didn't hear anything untoward except a bit of fuss outside Dr. Bessner's cabin. Of course, I didn't realise what it was all about until this morning, when I heard Mrs. Doyle was dead. You did not hear a shot, mademoiselle? No, I, I didn't. Did you leave your cabin at all? No, I didn't. You are quite sure of that? What do you mean? Of course I'm sure of it. You did not, for instance, go round to the starboard side and throw something into the River Nile? No, I didn't. I told you, I never left my cabin. Now then, mademoiselle, if someone says they saw you... Who said they saw me? Miss Van Schuller. Miss Van Schuller. She says that she looked out of her cabin and saw you throw something over the side. Why on earth should I run around throwing things into the Nile in the middle of the night? Well, there might be an innocent reason. Innocent? That is what I said. You see, mademoiselle, something was thrown overboard last night. Something that was not innocent. This. Is that what she was killed with? Yes, mademoiselle. And you think I did it? Why on earth should I want to kill Lynette Doyle? I didn't know her. Remember, Miss Ottawong, that Miss Van Schuler is prepared to swear she saw your face quite clearly in the moonlight. Well, she's mistaken. It wasn't me she saw. May I go now? Yes, you may go. Thank you. So, that's that. <laughs> Which of them do we believe? I have a little idea that neither of them has been quite frank with us. So what do we do? I think there is no point in detaining the ship here any longer. You can give orders to sail. And then we will continue with our investigation. Who is next on the list? Uh, the, uh, the archaeologist, Signor Ricchetti. I went to bed early, uh, very early, immediately after dinner. A pamphlet had arrived for me, which I was very eager to read. And what was that? Prehistorische Wurschnung in Kanesien. Ah. The man is a fraud. Anyone could tell him there was no hand-painted pottery in Zorithos in the 8th century BC. And you say that you heard nothing? Nothing that might have been a pistol shot, perhaps? The only thing that I heard was a splash. A big splash near the portole in my cabin. And your cabin is on the lower deck? On the starboard side. Uh, is that correct? Yes, uh, that is so. Can you tell us what time that might have been? It was some time after I go to sleep. Uh, perhaps two hours. 
At ten minutes past one, for instance? It might uh, very well be. But what a terrible thing. Such a charming young woman. It is an infamy. What kind of creature could commit so horrible a crime? May we have an account of your movements last night, Mr. Ferguson? I don't see why you should want to know, but I have no objection. I went ashore with Miss Robson. When she went back to the boat, I mooched about by the Nile for a bit by myself, and then came back and turned in around midnight. Your cabin is on the lower deck, starboard side. Yes. I'm not up among the knobs. Did you perhaps hear a shot? It might have sounded like the popping of a clock. Yes, I think I did hear something of the sort. But there was a lot of people about, some kind of commotion on the deck above. Uh, that was probably the shot fired by Mademoiselle de Belfort. Did you leave your cabin during the night? No, I didn't. And I didn't participate in the good work, worse luck. Oh, come now, Mr. Ferguson. Don't be so childish. Why shouldn't I say what I think? I believe in violence when it's directed at the idle rich. But you do not practice what you preach, perhaps. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Ferguson. That's all we need for the moment. All right, you are. Underneath all that rubbish, he's probably quite a likable young chap. You don't think he may be the man you are after, the political agitator? No, I hardly think so. But the man must be on board somewhere. So, who is next? Um, the American lawyer, Mr. Pennington. Little Lynette. I knew her when she was just a kid. The cutest little thing you could imagine. She was the light of old Mellow Shridri's life. Well, there's no point in going into that now. What shall I do for you, gentlemen? Oh, to begin with, Mr. Pennington, uh, did you hear anything last night? No, sir, I can't say I did. I have the cabin next to Dr. Bessner's, and I did notice a certain amount of commotion going on around midnight. Of course, I didn't know what it was at the time. That you heard nothing else? No shots? Absolutely nothing. I don't imagine it's news to you that there's plenty of rumor going around the boat. That half-French girl, Jacqueline Bellafort, there'd been some affair between her and Simon Doyle, hadn't there? Cheshire la femme. It's a pretty sound rule in my experience. I can assure you, Mr. Pennington, that we have satisfied ourselves that it would have been impossible for Jacqueline de Belfort to have shot Madame Doyle. That is where we hope that you may be able to help us. I. You are an intimate friend of the dead woman. You would know, for instance, of anyone who had a grudge against her, or anyone who had a motive for desiring her dead. I have no idea, Mr. Poirot, I assure you. You see, Lynette was brought up in England. I know very little of her surroundings or the kind of company she kept. And yet there was someone on board who was interested in removing Mrs. Doyle. She had a narrow escape, you remember, at Abu Simbel, when the boulder crashed down. You must have seen it. I didn't exactly witness it. I, I was inside the temple at the time. I, I heard about it afterwards, of course. Uh, but don't you think it could have been an accident? One thought so at the time. Now one wonders. Yes, yes, of course. Yeah, Mr. Doyle happened to mention someone being on board who bore a grudge against Mrs. Doyle, or possibly against her family. Now, you were an intimate friend of her father's. Uh, can you remember any business dealings of his that might have resulted in ruin for someone? Well, nothing particular springs to mind. I'm not denying that Mellowish made enemies, of course, but I can't remember anyone seriously threatening him. In, in short, Mr. Pennington, you cannot help us. So it seems. I deplore my inadequacy, gentlemen. We too are sorry, Mr. Pennington. We had 
the little hopes, you understand? As uh, Doyle's laid up, I uh, expect you'd like me to attend to things. What exactly are the arrangements, Colonel? We shall be setting off from here in a few minutes for a non-stop run to Shalal, arriving there tomorrow morning. And the body? That will be removed to one of the cold storage chambers. Thank you, Colonel. Uh, sorry I couldn't be of more help, gentlemen. Mr. Pennington was not at all comfortable. And he was sufficiently disturbed to tell a very stupid lie. I know very well that he was not inside the temple at Abu Simbel when that boulder fell. As you say, a, a very stupid lie. But for the moment, we handle him with the gloves of kid. Is it not so? Ah, we're on our way. <laughs> I think perhaps the time has come to look into the little matter of Mrs. Doyle's missing pearls. You have a plan? Yes. It will be lunchtime in half an hour. I propose to make an announcement to all the passengers, uh, stating that the pearls have been stolen and that I must request everyone to stay in the dining saloon while a search is conducted. It is well imagined. By giving no warning beforehand, there will be no chance of the thief throwing the pearls overboard in a panic. <laughs> that was the idea. Half an hour. That gives me time for another little talk with Mademoiselle Otterborn. I think... I now know what it was she threw into the Nile. I thought I'd answered all your questions, Mrs. Poirot. What is it now? You are accustomed to carrying your own burdens, mademoiselle. But after a time, the strain becomes too great. I don't understand what you're talking about. Let us call the spade the spade and say it in one short sentence. Your mother drinks. But, monsieur... No, 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 there's no need for you to say anything, mademoiselle. I happen to come across your mother in a state of unmistakable intoxication. Oh, my God. You are coping with it as well as you could, but your mother had the cunning of a secret drinker and had got hold of a considerable supply of spirits. Perhaps it was only yesterday that you discovered where she had hidden it. And so... As soon as your mother was soundly asleep, you took the cache of bottles and threw it into the Nile. I am right, am I not? Yes. You're quite right. It isn't really her fault. No one buys her books anymore. People are tired of all that cheap sex stuff. It hurt her dreadfully, and then she began to drink. When I found out, I did my best to get her to stop. It was awful, and then she began to dislike me for it. She's turned against me. I think she hates me sometimes. Ah, poor Petite. Don't be sorry for me. It's a relief to talk about it. Are you going to have to tell everyone? No, 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 it's not necessary. But there is something I wish to know. Miss Van Schuller says that she saw you. Did you see her? No. I didn't. I just looked along the deck and out over the river. And did you see anyone when you looked along the deck? No. I saw no one. (sighs) 
what you don't seem to realise, Mother, is that mm. everyone on this damn boat is under suspicion. You and I, as well as the rest of them. Oh, technically, I suppose we are, mm. but... You, you may well sit there, exuding virtue and rectitude, but a lot of unpleasant policemen at Shalal aren't just going to take you at your face value. By that time, the truth may be known, Tim. Why should it be? Monsieur Poirot may find out. Oh, that old mantebank, he won't find out anything. <laughs> Uh, he's all talking moustaches. Forgive me, Madame Alison. I am a little late. I have been much occupied. <laughs> is Mr. Doyle badly hurt? Yes, it is a fairly serious injury. That is why we are returning immediately to Chalau, so that the wound can be properly treated. What a shame. Only yesterday he looked such a happy boy with everything in the world he wanted, and now... <sighs> I do hope he's not going to be too angry with that poor girl. With Mademoiselle Jacqueline, mm. au contraire, he was full of anxiety on her behalf. I suppose he feels that he's got nothing to fear from her anymore. When she was following them about all over the place, she made him look a bit of a fool. And now it's she who's made a fool of herself, and so... He can be generously forgiving. What <laughs> children men are. Mr. Alton, there was something I've been meaning to ask you. Madame Doyle's cousin, Joanna Southwood, did she resemble Madame Doyle? No, you've got it a bit wrong, Monsieur Poirot. Joanna's our cousin and Lynette's friend. Oh, pardon, I was confused. Yes. <laughs> I wonder if all young ladies see valuable jewels are as careless as Madame Doyle was. I don't see what that's got to do with it. Is it true, then? Her pearls were stolen. Uh, who told you so, madame? Ferguson said so. Ah, right on. Yes, it is quite true. Oh, well, I suppose that what with the pearls and the murder, this will mean a lot of unpleasantness for all of us. Oh, Tim said so. Oh, you have previous experience, perhaps? Hmm? You have been in a house where there was a property? No, I haven't. Oh, yes, you have, darling. You were at the Port Arlington's when that awful woman's diamonds were stolen. You always get things hopelessly wrong, Mother. Oh. I was there when it was discovered that the diamonds she was wearing around her fat neck were really only paste. The actual substitution must have been carried out months ago. A lot of people said she'd done it herself. Well, Joanna said so, I expect. Joanna wasn't even there. You're always down on her. Quiet, please. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, may I have your attention, please? I'm sorry to have to inform you that a valuable pearl necklace belonging to the late Mrs. Doyle has been stolen. Oh, uh, since the theft may have taken place at the time of the murder, it's obviously a matter of considerable importance. I have decided to instigate a search of all the cabins on the boat. Oh, yeah. I would be greatly obliged if you would all remain here in the dining saloon until the search has been completed. Oh, After that... If you all agree, as I'm sure you will, everyone on the boat will be subject to a... How shall I put this? A, a personal search. Yes, yes, well, thank you for your cooperation. In Agatha Christie's Death on the Nile, Hercule Poirot was played by John Moffat and Colonel Race by Donald Sindon. Jacqueline de Belfort, Amanda Barton Chapel, Simon Doyle, Robert Dawes, Lynette Ridgway, Elaine Pike, Mrs. Allerton, Rosemary Leach, Tim Allerton, Nicholas Bolton, Mrs. Otterborn, Shirley Dixon, Rosalie Otterborn, Emma Woodvine, Miss Van Schuler, Irene Sutcliffe, Cornelia, Teresa Gallagher, Pennington, Stratford Johns. With Timothy Bateson, Joanna Munro, Sean Baker, Ed Bishop, Chris Pavlo, Christopher Scott, Robert... We present John Moffat as Hercule Poirot and Donald Sindon as Colonel Race in Agatha Christie's Death on the Nile. Well, Colonel, that has fairly put the cat among the pigeons. <laughs> it certainly looks like it. 
Uh, shall we begin? No, 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 no. Let us wait a little minute longer. I wish to know if anyone has been sufficiently alarmed as to want to have a private word. Oh, quite a good idea. Excuse me, Colonel. Hmm? But there's a lady who says she wants to speak to you without delay. Uh, she says it's most urgent. And which of the ladies is it? It's Miss Bowers. Miss Bowers? As a hospital nurse. Uh, the one who looks after Miss Van Schuler. She's in the little smoking room. I'm sorry, Colonel Race, but under the circumstances, I thought I should speak to you at once. And to uh, hand over these. This is most extraordinary. Will you kindly explain? It wasn't an easy decision to take. The family would naturally be averse to any kind of scandal. But if in the course of your search you were to come across them, then... You mean to say that it was you who took these pearls from Mrs. Doyle's cabin? Oh, no, Colonel, not me. It was Miss Van Schuler. What? Good Lord! She can't help it, you see. But she does take things, especially jewellery. That's the real reason I travel with her. Not her health at all. It's this little idiosyncrasy. I keep on the alert, and fortunately up till now there's never been any trouble. And she always hides the things in the same place, rolled up in a pair of stockings. So that makes it very simple. And that is where you found these? This morning. And have you ever challenged Miss Van Schuler about these thefts? She denies it. Says some wicked person must have put it there. She never admits taking anything. She says she just went out to look at the moon or something like that. And does Miss Robson know about this, um, idiosyncrasy? No, she doesn't. Huh. We have to thank you, mademoiselle, for coming down so promptly. It uh, won't get into the newspapers, will it? Oh, no, 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 no. We shall do our best to help you. Tell me. Does Miss Van Schuller suffer at all from deafness? As a matter of fact, she does. Not so that you'd realize when you were speaking to her, but quite often she doesn't notice when you come into a room, things like that. Thank you, Mademoiselle Bowers. Uh, perhaps you've got enough to go back to the dining saloon now and wait with the others. Of course, Colonel. Uh, extraordinary. Quite extraordinary. I do not think that Miss Van Schuller heard anyone moving about in Lynette Doyle's cabin. I think she was peering round her door, preparing to slip along and steal the pearls. But if she took them at ten past one, Mrs. Doyle was probably already dead. I doubt very much whether Miss Van Schuller would have noticed. She would have thought she was sleeping soundly, taken the pearls, and crept away as quietly as possible. And being deaf, she wouldn't have heard the shot beforehand. <laughs> I begin to understand now why no one heard it. The cabin on the forward side of Mrs. Doyle it was unoccupied since her husband had been taken to Dr. Bisner's cabin. And the cabin aft was Miss Van Schuler's, who was deaf. The cabin on the other side of the boat was occupied by Mr. Pennington. Curious how we always seem to come back to him. Yeah. Well, we'd better get on with our search of the boat. I don't imagine Miss Bowers is going to tell about the pearls. So they'll give us a convenient excuse. Ah, the pearls. Hmm. And here is another little mystery. I am no expert, but I would say that these pearls are only a clever imitation. Huh? I'll have to take your word for it. They look all right to me. They are a good imitation, yes. Perhaps Lynette Doyle had an imitation set made to bring out to Egypt for safety. Some women do. Well, anything is possible. But I must point out to you one thing. To make a perfect copy of the pearls, including the clasp, good enough to deceive Madame Doyle, could not have been done in a hurry. Whoever copied these pearls 
must have had a good opportunity of studying the original. Well, there's no point in worrying about it now. We'll start our search on the lower deck, Mr. Ricketti's cabin. The Tel Al-Amarna tablets, ancient records of Egypt, a letter from an archaeological expert in Egypt, and what from his sister in Rome. And a bottle of highly scented hair lotion. Mm. Nothing. Let's try Ferguson. Eric one by Samuel Butler. Peeps' diary. No letters. No personal papers. Now, what is most curious is that all his outer clothing is shabby and well-worn, whereas his underclothes are of very fine quality. Very odd. An odd young man altogether. Hmm. Yeah. And a very interesting signet ring. Oh, we're wasting our time here. The French maid, uh, Louise Bourget, is next. I can't find Miss Bourget anywhere, sir. She's not with the other passengers. I can't think where she's got to. Her cabin's empty. Well, you don't want her to come barging in. Yeah. Let's go up to the promenade deck and see what we can find out about the mysterious Mr. Fanthorpe. Everything in meticulous order. Nothing out of place. Uh, nothing that could give us the least clue as to who he is or what he's up to. I suspect that he is very careful, our Mr. Fanthorpe, to destroy any correspondence. Let us see if Mr. Allerton's cabinet is any more revealing. <clears throat> the fellow must be an Anglo-Catholic. Rosary, your crucifix. A half-completed manuscript with which he's evidently having a little difficulty, a few letters, and a tube of secretine. No pearls, at any rate. Let's try his mother's cabin. What a charming smell of lavender. Mm. Everything so neat, so clean. Oh, but nothing of the least interest. What about Mr. Paddington? He's bound to have something to hide. So... It seems there are still some people who travel with revolvers. Uh, very heavy. Very old-fashioned. Uh, not at all the kind of job used to kill Lynette Doyle. And as for all these documents, hmm, on the face of it, there is nothing that is particularly compromising. So, where now? Why don't we make a search of Lynette Doyle's cabin? If there's anything to be found there, you'll find it, I'm sure of that. <laughs> Two little bottles of Nalex. One, Nalex rose, which is empty apart from a little red fluid at the bottom, and one, Nalex cardinal, which is full. We don't seem to be getting anywhere at all. Ah, no, my friend. Our little search has at least helped us to comprehend the psychology of the passengers. <laughs> Time is getting on. Why don't I check the other cabins while you have a chat with Simon Doyle? He might be able to tell us a little more about the pearls. The pearls were insured against every possible risk. That may have made Lynette a little careless. Well, she wore them everywhere. As a matter of fact, she was wearing them last night. She was passing them through her hands and talking about them. She had known if they were fakes, surely. Perhaps, but they would have been a very good imitation. Tell me... 
Was Madame Doyle unusually generous with her things? Uh, did she ever lend them to a friend, for instance? It's difficult for me to say. I hadn't known Lynette for very long. She might very well have done. Sorry to interrupt you, Poirot, but the, the people who have been searching the passengers have come to make a report. The stewardess has some information which she thinks might interest us. It was Miss Otterborn, sir. There was a little pistol in her handbag. What kind? It was a very small one with a pearl handle. Does every girl on this blasted boat carry a pearl-handled pistol? What was Miss Otterborn's reaction when you found it? I don't think she noticed it, sir. I had my back to her while I was going through her handbag. Well, still, she must have known you'd come across it. I mean, uh, tell me, is there any sign of Mrs. Doyle's maid, uh, Louise Bourget? We've looked all over the boat, sir. We can't find her anywhere. Well, when was she last seen? About half an hour before the bell went for lunch, sir. Well, she must be somewhere on board. Uh, let's take a look in her cabin, Poirot. May tell us something. For a lady's maid, she was exceedingly untidy. Clothes hanging out of her suitcase, makeup all over the dressing <laughs> table. The shoes all along the side of the bed, left all anyhow. Yeah. Good Lord! What is it? Oh, no wonder they couldn't find her. She, she's here, under the bed. Uh, give, me, give me a hand, will you? Oh. <laughs> Stabbed to the heart. Death pretty well instantaneous, I should imagine. Doesn't look very pretty, does she? No, she does not. She's got something in her right hand. There. You see what it is? Money. The corner of a thousand franc note. Blackmail! Oh, we have been idiots. What was it that she said? What could I have seen or heard? I was on the deck below. Naturally, if I had been unable to sleep and I had mounted the stairs, then perhaps I might have seen the murderer enter or leave Madame's cabin. Of course, that is exactly what did happen. She did see someone, but instead of telling us, she chose to try her hand at blackmail. And this is the result. Oh, I should have known. What a fool I have been. Has something happened, Monsieur Poirot? Yes, Mademoiselle Rosalie, something has happened. Madame Doyle's maid has been killed. Killed? Yes, that is what I said. You see, Mademoiselle Bourget saw something she was not intended to see. She saw someone enter and leave Lynette Doyle's cabin on the night of the murder. And did she say what it was she saw? I am afraid not. Why are you looking at me like that? What is it? Why do you not tell me the truth, mademoiselle? I don't know what you mean. I've told you everything. No, that is not so. You did not tell me that you carry in your handbag a small caliber pistol with a pearl handle. And you did not tell me all that you saw last night. You're talking nonsense. I have no pistol. Look for yourself. Hmm. No, it is not there. You see, you're not always right, Monsieur Poirot. And you're wrong about last night as well. No, I do not think so. I want you to tell me the truth. <laughs> what is the truth? You seem to know more about it than I do. <sighs> you want me to tell you what it was you saw? I think that when you came around the stern of the boat to throw the bottles into the Nile, you stopped because you saw a man come out of the cabin halfway down the deck. Lynette Doyle's cabin. Am I right, mademoiselle? Hmm. Perhaps you think it wise not to speak. 
Perhaps you are afraid that if you do, you too will be killed. I saw no one, Monsieur Poirot. I saw no one. No one at all. Poirot! I want to talk to you. I've got an idea. What is it, Colonel? It's about that telegram you said the net doyle opened in error. Nothing in it, perhaps, but one can't leave any avenue unexplored. I mean, damn it all, man. Two murders and we're still in the dark. No, not in the dark. In the light. What? You have an idea? I see now that we must start again from the beginning. My first conception was entirely wrong. I have the fuckiest idea what you're getting at, Poirot. But if we have to go back to the beginning, let's go and talk to Doyle about that telegram. Yes, I remember. It was at uh, Wadi Haifa. We'd just come back from the second cataract. Well, Lynette thought she saw a telegram for her sticking up on the board. Well, she'd forgotten that she wasn't called Ridgeway anymore, and uh, Ricchetti and Ridgeway do look rather alike when written in atrocious handwriting. Now, do you know what was in that telegram? Uh, yes, uh, Lynette read part of it aloud. It said... Mr. Doyle! Oh, sir, we... oh, excellent Colonel Rayson, Monsieur Poirot, with you. Uh, what, what is it, Mrs. Otterpoor? Mr. Doyle, I know who killed your wife. It may appear impossible, but it is the truth. You agree that whoever killed Louise Bourget also killed your wife? Yes, yes, of course, that stands to reason. I know who killed Louise Bourget, and therefore I know who killed Jeanette Doyle. You mean you have a theory as to who killed uh, Louise Bourget? No, I have exact knowledge. I saw the person with my own eyes. Then if you know who killed Louise Bourget, for God's sake, tell us! It was when I went down to lunch. We were halfway to the saloon when I remembered I had left something, and I told Rosalie to go on without me. I had a, an arrangement with one of the personnel of the ship. Uh-huh. He was to get something I needed. I, I was to meet him on the stern of the deck below it. Oh, for God's sake, get a move on. Yes, come to the point, Mrs. Otterborn. As I reached there, a cabin door opened and Louise looked out. But when she saw it was me, she looked disappointed and closed it again. I, I got the stuff from the man and I started back. And just as I came round the corner, I saw someone knock on the door of her cabin and go in. And who was this person, madame? Oh, oh my dear. Is she dead? Yes, Mr. Doyle. She is dead. What the devil was that? Did you encounter anyone on your way here? Uh, no, no one. What's happened? Madame Otterborn has been shot. And I fancy... With this revolver. I rather think we've seen it somewhere before. Yes, it is the revolver of Monsieur Pennington. You better have a word with him. I noticed him a little while ago. He is in the small drawing room. Why, gentlemen... This is a very serious matter. Very serious for you, Mr. Pennington. For me. But, my dear sirs, I was sitting quietly writing letters in here where that shot was fired. But why should your revolver be used? Well, I'm afraid I may be to blame there. We had a conversation in the saloon one evening about firearms, and I mentioned that I always carry a revolver with me when I travel. Who was there? I can't remember exactly. Most people, I think... Monsieur Pennington, I would like to discuss certain details of the case with you. Will you come to my cabin in half an hour's time? Why, yes, I should be delighted. I'll never forget this trip as long as I live, Monsieur Perrault. Oh, yes. It's like being in a nightmare. Well, what of it? They're no great loss. You're wrong, Mr. Ferguson. It makes me sick to hear you talk as though nothing mattered in the world but you. Lynette Doyle was so beautiful when she came into a room that it made a lump come into your throat. You're unbelievable. You haven't got a bit of natural spite in you anywhere. Do you know, Monsieur Poirot, that Cornelia's father was practically ruined by Lynette Ridgway's old man? But that was all in the past. It's the future that matters. Cornelia Robson, you're the only truly nice woman I've ever come across. Will you marry me? Oh, it's 
Don't be absurd. It's a genuine proposal. You're my witness, Monsieur Poirot. I think you're utterly ridiculous. Why won't you marry me? Because you laugh at all the things I love. All the really serious things. You wouldn't be reliable. Damn the girl. I believe she means it. She wants a man to be reliable. Reliable. What do you think of her? I think that she has a great deal of character. You're right. She's got spirit. She's got guts. Damn it, I want that girl. I can be a bad move if I tackled Miss Van Schuler. If I could get her thoroughly against me, it might cut some ice with Cornelia. That's preposterous. You marry Cornelia, it's utterly out of the question. You mean I'm not good enough for her? There is such a thing as social position, Mr. Ferguson. Social position is bunk. But I don't imagine I can convince you of that. Anyway, don't be too sure, Miss Van Schuler. I'll be calling you cousin yet. What an uncouth, insolent young man. Rather eccentric, I'm afraid. Most of that family are always inclined to tilt at windmills. You recognized him, I suppose. Recognized him? Yes, that's uh, young Lord Dawlish. Rolling in money, of course. Uh, but he became a communist when he was at Oxford. How long have you known this, Monsieur Parot? Ever since I found a signatoring with his family coat of arms on it. And uh, now, if you will excuse me, I have more urgent matters to attend to. So, what can I do for you, gentlemen? I perceive, Mr. Fanthorpe, that you wear the same tie that my old friend Hastings wears. It's an O.E. tie. Exactement. You must understand that, although I am a foreigner, I know something of the English point of view, and there are certain things that the old-school tie does not do. One of those things is to butt into a private conversation when one does not know the people who are conducting it. I don't know what you're talking about. I think you do, Mr. Pendle. The other day you strolled over to Madame Doyle when she was in conversation with Mr. Pennington, and you tried to eavesdrop. And then you congratulated her on the soundness of her business methods. What was your object in that? I had no object, I assure you, Monsieur Poirot. I rather think you were trying to prevent Madame Doyle from signing any document unread. If we tell you that the weapon which killed Mrs. Otterbourne was a revolver owned by Mr. Pennington, what? you will realize that it is your duty to tell us all you can. Why did you come on this trip, Monsieur Fanthorpe? Very well. My uncle, Mr. Carmichael, Lynette Doyle's English solicitor, sent me. He was often in correspondence with Mr. Pennington, who was Mrs. Doyle's American trustee. Several small incidents made my uncle suspicious that all was not as it should be. In plain language, your uncle suspected that Pennington was a crook. You put it rather more bluntly than I would, Colonel, but that was the general idea. And there is your motive. It's time for our meeting with Pennington. Thank you for your assistance, Monsieur Fanthorpe. Well, gentlemen, what can I do for you? Tell me, Mr. Pennington, are Lynette Doyle's affairs in the proper order they should be? They're in perfect order. You were not then so alarmed when the news of Lynette Ridgway's marriage reached you that you rushed over on the first boat and staged an apparently fortuitous meeting in Egypt? That's, that's a rubbish. I didn't even know Lynette was married and, until I met her in Cairo. Uh, you came over on the Karmanek, I think you said. That's right. Hmm, it is strange. 
All the labels on your luggage are from the Normandy, which sailed two days later. Oh, come on, Mr. Pennington. It's no good denying it. It's the easiest thing in the world to check with the steamship companies. So what does it matter? We believe that you came to Egypt post-haste to try and find some way out of the mess you are in. You endeavoured to obtain Madame Doyle's signature on certain documents, which you failed to do. And then, when walking along the clifftop at Abu Simbel, you dislodged a boulder which fell and narrowly missed Madame Doyle. You're crazy! Time will show. What do you mean? This is a matter of three deaths, three murders. The law will demand the most searching investigation into the condition of Madame Doyle's estate. You've played and lost, Mr. Pennington. You don't understand. Wall Street has been crazy. I mean, with luck, everything will be okay by June. I suppose that the boulder was a sudden temptation. Hmm? You thought nobody saw you. That was an accident. I, I, I stumbled and, and fell upon it. it. It was an accident. And it wasn't me who shot her. You can't pin that one on me. Well, we got more than I thought we should. Admission of fraud, admission of attempted murder. Further than that, it's impossible to go. You won't get him to confess to the real thing. Pennington did not do it. Uh, yeah, but, uh, wait, what? He did not do it. He had the motive, yes. He even got so far as attempting it. But this crime needed something he did not have. It needed audacity. Have you got it all worked out? Yes. Let us send for Tim Arrowton. Sir, what can I do for you, Monsieur Poirot? I wish to speak of your cousin, Joanna Southwood. What about her? I have been hearing quite a lot of that name recently from Inspector Jap at New Scotland Yard. Really? Yes. For some time now, he has been concerned about certain jewel robberies. They are what might be described as society robberies. The method is usually the same. The substitution of an imitation piece of jewellery. Inspector Jap came to the conclusion that the robberies were the work of two people, probably of good social position, and his attention became centred on Joanna Southwood. Every one of the victims had been a friend or an acquaintance of hers, and in each case she had either handled or been lent the piece of jewellery in question. I see. Go on. On the other hand, it was quite clear that the actual robbery, that is to say the actual substitution, was not her work. It was carried out by someone who could have been proved never to have handled the jewels or to have been involved in the copying of them. Of the identity of this person, Jap was ignorant. What exactly are you driving at, Warren? Now, 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 patience, my friend. Certain things which you said, Mr. Allerton, interested me. You mentioned that a fake substitution had occurred at a house party where you had been a guest. And when Madame Doyle's pearls were stolen, my suspicions were aroused. And when the pearls were returned and transpired to be imitation, I was certain that you were involved. And what am I supposed to have done with the pearls? They are concealed in the beads of a rosary that hangs in your cabin. Well... It's been a good game, Monsieur Poirot. There's nothing for it now, I suppose, but to take my medicine. Do you realize that you were seen that night? Seen? Someone saw you coming out of Lynette Doyle's cabin just after one in the morning. 
The night she was murdered. Look, you can't be thinking. I, I didn't kill her. I've been in the most awful stew to have picked that night of all nights. Who was it saw me? Horace Ali Otterbourne. So it was she who told you? Certainly not. I am Hercule Poirot, and I do not need to be told. When I taxed her with it, she told me that she saw nobody. And she lied. She's an extraordinary sort of a girl. She must have had a pretty rough time with that mother of hers. Yes, life has not been easy for her. Cheryl Poirot, where do we go from here? Look, I admit taking the pearls from Lynette's cabin, you'll find they're just where you say they are. I'm guilty, all right. But as far as Miss Southwood's concerned, I'm admitting nothing. How I got hold of the fake necklace is my own business. A very correct attitude. <laughs> Always the gentleman. And now I am going to ask Miss Otterborn if she will join us. So it was you who took the pearls, but you didn't. No, I didn't kill Lynette. I'm a thief, not a murderer. Of course, we only have your word for that. You may have stolen the pearls before last night. Suppose she had found out and threatened to expose the whole business and that you took advantage of the confusion after Jacqueline de Belfort shot Simon Doyle to steal the pistol and make certain that Lynette Doyle would keep silent forever. I swear it isn't true. Of course it isn't true. And Monsieur Poirot knows it isn't true. <laughs> Mademoiselle is too clever. But there could be a clear case against you, Monsieur Allerton. I just wanted you to realize that. Now... I will tell you something a little more pleasant. If Mademoiselle Otterborn sticks to her story that she saw no one on the deck last night, there is no case against you. The pearls were taken by a kleptomaniac who has since returned them. They are in a little box on the table by the door. Perhaps you would um, care to take them away and examine them with Mademoiselle? Give them to me. There. They've gone. And when I return the box to Monsieur Poirot, the real pearls will be in it. What a damned fool I've been. Why did you do it in the first place? Uh, boredom. Laziness. <laughs> the fun of the thing. I, I suppose it was mainly the risk. I think I understand. And without the money, I wouldn't be here. And I wouldn't have met you. Why didn't you say that you saw me last night? I thought they might suspect you. Did you suspect me? No. I couldn't believe that you'd kill anyone. Rosalie, do you think you could... I mean, would you... Oh. Or will you always throw this back in my face? <laughs> there are things that you could throw in my face, too. Rosalie. This Joanna Southwood. Oh, you're as bad as my mother. I don't care about Joanna. She's got a predatory eye and a face like a horse. Now, look here, I'm a patient man, Poirot, but there are limits to my patience. Do you know who committed these three murders on this boat, or don't you? I do. Uh, then let's have no more beating about the bush. It wasn't Allerton, it wasn't Pennington. Who was it, then? My friend, I am about to tell you. I'm sorry to disturb you, Monsieur Poirot, but Miss Robson wishes to speak to you. Miss Barris has just told me about Cousin Marie and the pearls. I couldn't believe it at first, but... Dr. Bessner has been simply wonderful. I simply explained that kleptomania is a medical condition like any other. But I'm terribly worried in case it all gets out. I have no fear, Miss Rosen. Monsieur Poirot and I are getting accustomed to overlooking these little peccadilloes. I beg your pardon, Colonel Ray. Well, I mean that anything short of murder is being hushed up. Oh, oh I'm so relieved. And have you heard any more from Mr. Ferguson? No, but Cousin Marie told me he's got a title of some sort... As far as I'm concerned, he's even more out of the question now. And besides, 
Dr. Bessner. I understand. Now, tell me, Doctor, how is Mr. Doyle? Oh, he's going on splendidly. Oh, then, since he's all right, there's no reason why we shouldn't ask him about that telegram. Ach, that, that was very funny. He told me all about it. The telegram was just a list of vegetables, uh, potatoes, artichoke. My God! So it was him, Ricchetti. I'm sorry? It's a new code. We first encountered it on the uprising six months ago. Uh, potatoes means machine guns. Artichokes are high explosives. Oh. And so on. Ricchetti is no more an archaeologist than I am. He's a dangerous agitator who's killed more than once in the past and has probably done so again. He is our man, Poirot. He is your man, Colonel. But it was not Ricchetti who killed Lynette Doyle. I know who the murderer is. But although I know what happened, I have no proof. But who is it? Aren't you going to tell us? I think the time has come for it. Very well, then. You and I, Colonel, started our investigation with a preconceived idea. That idea was that the crime was committed on the spur of the moment without any previous planning. But now, I know that this was no spontaneous crime. But what gave you the first hint that the crime was not spontaneous? It was when the pistol was retrieved from the Nile. Huh? The weapon was wrapped in a velvet stole with a handkerchief showing a faint pink stain. When you examined Lynette Doyle's body, Doctor, what was it that you observed about the wound? There were signs of scorching. The pistol had obviously been placed close against the head before being fired. But the stole, you see, showed definite signs that the pistol had been fired through it. Therefore, that could not have been the shot which killed Lynette Doyle. For then, there would have been no scorch marks on the wound. And then it must have been the shot fired by Jacqueline de Belfort. But, but I was there, and the pistol certainly wasn't wrapped in any stole. Exactly. So, a third shot must have been fired. But how? When? The next interesting point was the fact that in Lynette Doyle's cabin I found two bottles of colored nail varnish. One contained only a few drops of a bright red liquid, which was, in fact, red ink. So that was what had stained the handkerchief. Red ink washes out but always leaves a pink stain. The next clue was something I realized far too late. When I was questioning Louise Bourget in Simon Doyle's cabin, she was very careful to suggest that if she had mounted the stairs from her cabin that night, she would have seen the murderer. Now, why do that? Because she was letting the murderer know that she had witnessed the crime. But apart from Colonel Race and myself, the only people present were Simon Doyle and Dr. Besner. Now, look here. You are surely not suggesting no, that no, I... No, no, no. I am only letting you follow the workings of my mind, Doctor. The reaction of the little grey cells. It was obvious that Louise Bourget's words could only have been intended for Simon Doyle. But how could a man with a fractured bone and a splint on his leg go about the boat murdering people? It does not make sense. Exactly, Doctor. It did not make sense. So I had to go back to the beginning. Was it possible for Simon Doyle to have murdered his wife? Had he left the saloon at any point before his quarrel with Jacqueline de Belfort? No, he was there all the time. I would have noticed. And then I realized that there was a time when he had been left alone for at least five minutes after the shot had been fired and before Dr. Bessner arrived to give his expert testimony about the wound. When Jacqueline de Belfort had shot Mr. Doyle, Miss Robson, what did you see? He collapsed on a chair with the handkerchief to his leg. You could see the blood soaking through. You mean it wasn't blood? Precisely, mademoiselle. 
It was red ink. And Mr. Doyle was most insistent that I should get Mr. Belfort away and not leave her alone. And he sent Mr. Fanthorpe to find Miss Bowers. For the next five minutes, everyone is occupied on the port side. Simon Doyle picks up the pistol from under the sofa where Jacqueline de Belfort has hit it, runs silently to the stubble deck, enters his wife's cabin, and shoots her through the head, puts the bottle, which had contained the red ink on the dressing table, runs back, gets hold of Miss Van Schuller's stall, which he had stuffed down the side of his chair, wraps it around the pistol, and shoots himself in the leg. His chair is by the window. He has just enough strength to lift the window and to throw the pistol, and with it the stall and the handkerchief, into the Nile. Ah, no, it's just not possible, Poirot. Nobody could think all that up by himself or on the spur of the moment. Ah, uh-huh, but as I have told you, it was not on the spur of the moment, nor did he think it up by himself. Everything depended on Jacqueline de Belfort kicking the pistol under the settee. Jacqueline? Certainly. The two halves of the murder. What gave Doyle his alibi? The shot fired by Jacqueline. What gave Jacqueline her alibi? The insistence of Simon Doyle that she should have a hospital nurse staying with her all night. There, between the two of them, you get all the qualities you require. The cool, resourceful, planning brain, Jacqueline de Belfort, and the man of action to carry it out. It answers every question. Simon Doyle and Jacqueline had been lovers. Realize that they are still lovers. And everything is clear. Simon Doyle does away with his rich wife, inherits her money, and in due course will return to his former love. So it was Jacqueline de Belfort who killed Louise Bourget. Yes. And Mrs. Otterborn. Do you remember how Simon shouted at the poor woman? The door was open, and he was trying to warn Jacqueline. She heard, and she acted like lightning. She remembered Pennington had talked about having a revolver. She got hold of it, and at the critical moment... Fired. And what happened to the first bullet fired at Doyle by the girl? I think it went into the table. It seems they had thought of everything. No, 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 no. You are wrong. They did not think of Hercule Poirot. You were too clever for us. I'd have bluffed you out, but you sprang it on Simon and he went down like a ninepin, lost his head and admitted everything. He's a bad loser. But you, mademoiselle, are a good loser. Oh, yes. But I'm not a safe person any longer. It all seemed so simple to begin with. Simon and I really did love one another. And for you, love would have been everything. But not for him. He's always wanted money, so dreadfully. He's awfully simple. He wants things just as a child wants them. And the job of land agent which you had persuaded your old friend Lynette Doyle to offer him was not enough to satisfy his greed? You know... Lynette went all out to get Simon away from me. I was her friend, but she didn't care. And what was his reaction? He didn't give a damn about her. The whole thing embarrassed him dreadfully. But he did like the thought of her money. And then? And then one day he said, if I'd any luck, I'd marry her and she'd die in about a year and leave me the lot. And then a queer look came into his eyes. But I realized that he'd never pull it off by himself. So I had to come into it, to look after him. At a swan, you warned me about opening my heart to evil. Mm-hmm. I could have pulled back then, but I didn't. And after that, it all became so horribly 
frighteningly easy. I suppose when we get to Shillal, you're going to hand us over to the police? I have no alternative, mademoiselle. Don't mind too much for me, Monsieur Poirot. They're bringing Doyle off on a stretcher. Remarkable how he just went to pieces. I'm sorry for the girl, but there's nothing to be done about it. People say love justifies everything, but that is not true. Women who care for men as much as Jacqueline does for Simon are very dangerous. We've got Mr. Doyle here, Colonel. Shall we take him ashore? Uh, yes, let's not waste any more time. The passengers will want to get off. Jackie, I messed it up. Lost my head and admitted everything. Sorry, I've... I've let you down. Don't give it a thought. Fool's game and we lost. That's all. <laughs> Goodbye, Monsieur Poirot. Where the devil did she get that pistol? Did you know she had the pistol, Monsieur Poirot? She had a pair of pistols. I realized that when I heard that one had been found in Rosalie Otterbourne's handbag. Jacqueline must have slipped it in there when she knew there was going to be a search of the passengers and retreated later. Did you want her to take that way out? I did, Mrs. Allerton. But I knew she would not take it alone. That is why Simon Doyle has died an easier death than he deserved. Love can be a very frightening thing. <sighs> that is why all love stories end in tragedy, madame. Well, a very messy business, but I think I've got everything sorted out with the local police. I suppose you'll be off back home now, Poirot. Ah, yes, but I shall make a very leisurely return. I plan to visit Jerusalem and perhaps a little excursion to Petra. I'm glad to see you haven't lost your appetite for sightseeing, Monsieur Poirot. <laughs> there is one thing in Hercule Poirot that nothing can extinguish. <laughs> what is that, my friend? My curiosity. In Agatha Christie's Death on the Nile, Hercule Poirot was played by John Moffat and Colonel Race by Donald Sindon. Jacqueline de Belfort, Amanda Barton Chapel, Simon Doyle, Robert Dawes, Lynette Ridgway, Elaine Pike, Mrs. Allerton, Rosemary Leach, Tim Allerton, Nicholas Bolton, Mrs. Otterborn, Shirley Dixon, Rosalie Otterborn, Emma Woodvine, Miss Van Schuler, Irene Sutcliffe, Cornelia, Teresa Gallagher, Pennington, Stratford John. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.